In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bogleman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 252. Rebirth. Well, half of it. Anyways, as far as Green Lantern is concerned. Um, tonight we are talking about the DC Universe Rebirth one-shot special. The Green Lantern's Rebirth one-shot and Green Lantern's number one. Right? Yes. Okay. So, so when, when we're, we're going to push the final issue of Edge of Oblivion back for more... Several reasons, but all, but mostly because we feel it, it will mesh better with uh, the Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps issues that we'll be doing next in our next, whenever in our next uh, regular issue review. Probably not our next episode, clearly. But yeah, uh, speaking of episodes, okay, so you probably have noticed there's been a bit of a delay slash weird posting schedule thing happening uh, with the show. Uh, that's my fault. That's me. Um, there's a reason behind that, uh, without going into too much detail, because I typically tend to, you know, over explain things. Um, I am no longer in the position I was in at my job at the dealership. I am now a salesperson, uh, selling cars. And that is the first time in my entire life I've ever had a commission, uh, slash sales based job. Um, and in court, I'm sort of in sink or swim territory, and it's not just uh, learning a completely new skill set. Uh, it's also a shakeup in my pay structure, so it's kind of freaking me the f out. Um, just to see how you know how the money's going to work out, if it's going to work out in my favor, if I'm going to go into debt, or you know, am I going to miss a payment on something? You know. You know, all the kind of stuff that comes with um, a new position, a space in between paychecks, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, and because I've got sort of added stressors at work, uh, because I've uh, got a whole lot less free time while I'm at work, um, you know, I don't have quite as much time to edit, quite as much time to post, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> of course, nobody can really blame me for... <laughs> you know, focusing on my job while I'm actually at my job. Uh, but I feel I owed a bit of an explanation anyways. It's just a matter, it's not so much a matter of I don't have time to record the podcast anymore, or I don't have time to edit or post the podcast. It's just my typical time slash availability to do those things is no longer what it once was. So I need to kind of restructure and figure out you know, uh, new places and times to schedule and put those activities, if that makes sense. 
So, uh, and because it's a huge, huge stressor, uh, it's, you know, kind of effed up the rest of my mind. <laughs> so I've just kind of just been in this, uh, Mark, Mark can attest to this. I've 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 gone dark <laughs> <laughs> in many many ways, but but exclude but specifically as in being MIA more than anything. <laughs> yes, I've just kind of just been freaking out. Uh, but based on just the fact that we're recording this episode, and I actually I did get the pre-birth episode edited and posted, not the way I wanted to, but it was edited and posted. I got the I finally got a promo out for. My the Action Comics Weekly podcast that I was uh, that I've been working on for several months now, um, which you'll hear later on in this episode. Uh, so uh, you know, there I, I am slowly getting into the groove of finding when I have the free time to do these things. It's just just again, just bear with me, guys. <laughs> uh, and uh, if if need be, we you know we can have guest hosts and stuff like that, or for things that I can't make or, or whatever. Uh, but just just explaining the recent sort of shakeup. So just please bear with me as, uh, as much as we do this for free and of our own free time and free will, um, you know, <laughs> it's real and paying bills comes first. So, uh, otherwise we're back. We're talking rebirth. So, uh, yeah, dude. Uh, I guess I'm going first. I'm taking this, the special. How many pages was the special? 80? Was it an, like an 80-page giant? Uh, it probably says it somewhere. Unfortunately, since they don't friggin' number pages anymore, usually, yeah. it makes it really difficult. Uh, I'm trying to see if it says anywhere. I've Obviously, in the promo, it would have said, it would have said, you know, in the solicits, it would have said how many pages it was. I, off the top of my head, I do not... I thought it was I thought it was something like around eighty, but don't figure. But to be fair, so much of it, there's a lot of ads in here. <laughs> Towards the back of the book, there's a whole. That's pretty much it's all ads for like the last ten pages or so at least. So, but it also balances it out because the main story you know, there's pretty much no, like no ads in the, in the main part of the book. So I guess that's how they kind of like justify jamming it all at the end. So. Uh, so this this uh, beast of a book. Uh, let's see here. I've uh, for once in my life, I actually finally got a, a digital, a, a non-digital copy. I actually have a paper, a hard copy, paperback, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, so the writer of this bad boy is Jeff Johns, with art by Ethan Van Skyver, Gary Frank. Uh, uh, Yvonne Hayes, Phil Jimenez, and let's see some inkers here. We got Matt Santorelli, Frank, uh, Joe Prado. Trying to see on colors, we got Brad Anderson, Jason Wright, Joe Prado, Reese, High Five. Uh, no, Reese is not. He's an inker. Uh, Hi-Fi on colors. We also got Gabe, Eltiab, and let's see here. And that's uh, that's about as good as I can sort that out. Um, I don't know. Uh, Mark, when did you get DC Rebirth? Just the, the Wednesday it came out? Yes. Okay. Uh, I did a midnight release on uh, the Tuesday right before it came out. Um, did that midnight release at Austin Books and Comics. 
They had a DC trivia contest there for people who, uh, you know, were there for the contest. Uh, I played a little bit of DC deck building, stuff like that. But they had a DC trivia contest, and the winner got one copy of every issue of Rebirth. Uh, I'm talking, you know, the main story and the Rebirth specials and the, and the number ones. Um, I did not win, but I got third place. So and there's a lot of people there. If people follow me on my personal Facebook and happen to see that group picture thing, um, I felt pretty proud about that. <laughs> so good job. <laughs> and I got the midnight release variant. Um, this is the one with the, you've probably seen the picture. It's the hourglass cover. Uh, it's got all the heroes bursting out on the front cover of one hourglass on the back cover. You've got the original JSA, and um, I'm guessing uh, the pre-Flashpoint Justice League uh, in other hourglasses. You know the image I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, yeah, I got that covered. That was the midnight release variant, uh, supposedly. Um, but anyways, uh, this is a m- big mother of an issue, so I am not going to be doing an in-depth recap. I'm just going to – you're going to hear pages turning. Uh, I'm just hitting the highlights from what I remember. Um, first and foremost – as if every review didn't need this tag in front of it to begin with. Spoilers! <laughs> uh, and the first thing I will say, he's back! Wally's back, guys. Wally West. The that, Wally West. God damn time. That's right. Uh, we open with some internal monologue, uh, just kind of explaining you know, what's been going on and, and the things that Wally is feeling while he's just sort of been observing our universe. He first appears to Batman... Batman doesn't recognize him at this point. Batman is uh, going through what the um, Mobius chair revealed to him during the Dark Side War. Um, when he asked who is the Joker, evidently uh, the Mobius chair had answered him. We didn't know that, what that answer was until now. That answer was, which one? Evidently there are three Jokers uh, in this D- uh, DC universe. Uh, so the answer... Uh, wasn't really an answer about an identity. It's just that there were three Jokers. Uh, looks like the original Joker, uh, we're talking, I don't know, what does this look like? Detective Comics, like the original, original Joker? Probably. Just not as... Uh, then we've got the Alan Moore Joker, which is the uh, uh, the one that shot Barbara and paralyzed her, uh, and probably the one that effed up Jason Todd. Yep. And then we have this other Joker, which is the one that we've seen... Uh, in uh, the New 52, like the Scott Snyder Joker with the short hair and the shaved sides and all that stuff. Um, Wally appears to Bruce. Bruce doesn't recognize him. Wally disappears. Um, and uh, he tries to tell him something about you know the letter. And you know Bruce looks back at it. Um, he, Wally's sort of recapping his time in history in the universe that we're familiar with, you know, Crisis, his uh, time on the Titans, um, things like that. Uh, then he talks about, you know, how, you know, something's wrong with our this this uh, this universe. He then appears to this old man in a home for the elderly, and he says. Uh, uh, you know, he, he, this this old man is running running around this home. He locks himself in this little closet. He appears to him, and he says, "You know, and this this one was kind. I don't want I don't want to say important, but it might have to do with the return of the actual JSA. So I'm gonna 
kind of focus in on this a little bit, just out of personal preference. Wally appears. He says, I don't know how long I have. Listen carefully to me. Their history may have been stolen, but your friends weren't completely lost. And then this old man yells, McCarthy yelled, take off your masks. You know I was only trying to protect them. I'm sorry for what I did. Wally says, it's wartime again. The world is going to need your friends, but you can bring them back. You have that power, Johnny. Use the genie. Find the Justice Society. And he's crying. He says, it's all I've been trying to do. And then that's when Wally disappears and uh, the orderlies break in. And this uh, Johnny is, you know, kind of mumbling to himself, Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt, where did you go? Say you, say you, Thunderbolt. And the orderly says, let's go, Mr. Thunder. He says, come back, please. I didn't mean to throw you away. Dude, I almost cried on that one. I was so happy that the Justice Society is coming back. Because obviously, guys, this is Johnny Thunder. Uh, the guy with the, the, the kid with the genie from the Justice Society. Uh, that was awesome. I didn't, and what was really cool is I didn't realize it until after, or until afterwards. Uh, now he says, use the genie. And I was like, wait, genie? Justice Society, the genie? And it didn't really click with me. And then after Wally leaves and he says, Thunderbolt, say you. I was like, holy shit, Johnny Thunder. <laughs> so that that was awesome. It didn't really set in uh, until then. So that was cool. Um, anyways, um, then uh, Wally's tumbling through, I don't know what, space time, whatever. Much. Um, uh, the, the fabric between realities, who knows. Um, then we see this blonde woman under interrogation. Um and she's saying things like, you know, I've, you know, they're, they're, they're about to go in and interrogate her. And they say, I can't place her accent. Maybe it's French. What are the charges? She stole a sandwich, said it was a misunderstanding, claims where she comes from, food is free. And they're like, what country is that? No idea. After talking to her last hour, one thing I know for sure, this woman needs professional help. So she goes in to interrogate this blonde woman. Uh, and we never see this blonde, this blonde woman's face dead on, but... I've come here to speak with Superman. Superman, huh? Yes, I'm a friend of his. You don't say. I believe I just did. I hate to break the bad news, miss, but it's been playing over every network for the last 24 hours. Superman's gone, missing in action. She goes, well, I'll wait. You think this is a joke? The Justice League says he could be dead. Oh, he very well may be. And no, I do not think this is a joke. She says, then why are you smiling? She says, because everything's going to be all right. Yeah, and how do you know that? Because I've seen the future. And they're like, so she's out of her mind. <laughs> or very, very confused. I'm going to call mental services as long as she's not violent. She didn't have any weapons on her, Captain Sawyer. Just this. And she holds up a plastic evidence bag with a Legion flight ring in it. So clearly this is Irma of the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, well, Saturn Girl. So <laughs> the two books that haven't yet been announced, but I'm super excited for back-to-back -back right here being teased. So Just Society, the original is coming back, and the Legion of Superheroes. So that's cool. <laughs> Just to be canceled again. At least, <laughs> at least the Legion of Superheroes. JSA will probably do well. Legion of Superheroes, again, unless Johns is going to – maybe it won't be, wouldn't be Johns. It'd probably uh, – in a light, what could be? But either way, I don't, I don't, it's one of those like we talked about before. It's cool. It's good to, for the continuity's sake to get them back in the mix, but as far as being able to carry their own book, I still don't think that's going to 
it gonna work, but but sorry. <laughs> um, then we see Ryan Choi. Uh, Ryan Choi is at the university being confronted by the dean and about the whereabouts of one Dr. Palmer. Ryan runs off to Dr. Palmer's offices, lets himself in with a key, and suddenly Ryan is confronted by an image of Ray Palmer, a.k.a. the Atom. Um, the Atom is saying, you know, I'm, I'm in the microverse, I need help. Uh, I, I, there's one last thing, this is extremely important. When you reach the first world of the microverse, you're going to meet someone. They're going to seek you out. Whatever you do, whatever they say, do not, and then the, the feed cuts out. Uh, so basically, it's up to Ryan Choi to go rescue Ray Palmer. Um, and he left uh, Ryan Choi a size-changing belt to go get him. So that's cool. Then we cut to some a scene that's going to make a whole lot of people very, very happy. Um, we, sell, we see uh, Jaime Reyes, the Blue Beetle, speaking with someone named Ted Cord. And Ted Cord is building a giant bug ship. <laughs> Yay! A lot of people are happy. Um, he wants to get the um, he's Jaime as always wants to get the beetle off of his back, and then suddenly, after Jaime uh, realizes he's late for school and flies off, who should appear but Doctor Fate? And uh, Dr. Fate says, you know not what you're dealing with. He says, look, doctor, you're kind of freaking me out. And I said, what, not who? Jaime Reyes is an innocent in this. Fuse with something you both misunderstand. He says, I think I understand enough. He's got power. He's got heart in this alien scarab. And Dr. Fate interrupts and says, you believe the Blue Beetle scarab to be xenotechnology, Theodore. That is a lie purposely perpetrated by the darkest the darkest of sorcerers you're not playing with extraterrestrials you're playing with magic and ted says magic with a big smile on his face <laughs> then we cut to a couple of clip scenes we see damien celebrating his 13th birthday blowing out the candles on his cake we see uh uh we see jessica in her green new green lantern outfit um, in her apartment, uh, speaking with Hal over comms on the ring, saying, you know, you're talking about the Green Lantern that carries a gun, Hal. I'd ra really rather not. I only just got this ring, and you're busy. Who's Sinestro? Um, then we cut down to another scene that's going to make a lot of people very, very happy. We see a young man uh, named Jackson staring at a fish tank. Uh, and he says, uh, his, his mom is saying, it's not natural what you are, Jackson. He says, you're not talking about what I did at the lake. Swimming like you do? No, I'm talking about the boys. It's not, it's not boys, mom. It's a boy, as in my boyfriend. And all of this, it's who I am, even if you don't know why. Even if I don't know why. And clearly, guys, this is Jackson, as in the, uh, uh, what, brightest day, right? Yes, should be. The brightest day Aqualad, the the uh, African-American Aqualad with the dreads that I think was revealed to be the son of Black Manta. I think that is correct. Okay. Um, then we cut away to Pandora. Uh, yes, that Pandora, the one that kicked off the helped kick off the New 52 in the first place. So this will be another scene that should make people happy. <laughs> Take <True>. that. <laughs> 
She's running. She runs into an alley. She says, this won't hide what you've done. It's been my burden to carry, my curse to suffer through. The naive little Pandora unleashed evils upon the world. Skepticism, doubt, corruption, all things your cold heart believes in. But in the end, there was hope. And the heroes of this universe embody it. Their hope, their devotion, their love for one another will vanquish what you've done. It may be over for me, but they will prove you wrong. They will prove you are nothing but a lonely, cruel monster. And then she gets obliterated. Obliterated. Obliterated by blue energy. What could that possibly mean? Uh, Then we see... Something that was revealed to us in the pages of Justice League uh, during the Dark Side War that Wonder Woman has a brother. Um, uh, also, um, uh, that Dark Side has been reincarnated um, into a childlike form. Uh, then we cut over to a field in which a smoking crater with some uh, ashes uh, and bones remains, where we see several uh, different FBI agents, local PD. And heroes on the scene. Heroes such as Starfire, Raven, Firestorm, Martian Manhunter, Steel, Green Arrow, uh, Adam, Black Canary, Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Vixen. uh, And that's just the ones I'm seeing right off the top of my head here. Uh, There's Shazam and Beast Boy and Cyborg. Uh, Now, so they're examining. Basically, this is where in Superman... 52 the 52 new 52 universe superman died um he went uh kablooey uh and went away now i'm trying to power through this a little bit faster but i did like this page it did it it did make me interested enough to read two issues of the green arrow series so i'm going to read this um it says, Oliver Queen and Dinah Lance, Green Arrow and the Black Canary. They barely even know each other anymore. But when their eyes meet, they feel a spark that neither of neither one of them can explain. A void deep inside of them. Something buried deep in their hearts. This strange feeling keeps them up at night wondering, what have they lost? That's... I was so happy to see that. Um, then we cut to the Lois and Clark Superman. Now, this is the Superman that entered the New 52 universe after the Convergence series, the one with the wife and kid. Um, he is confronted by a being uh, named Oz, Mr. Oz. Um, and we'll get into who he might be later on. I don't want to spoil the ending of this issue before uh, we actually get there. And he says... Uh, uh, I will tell you something in the wake of this tragedy. Uh, to tell you something in the wake of this tragedy, you and your family are not what you believe you are, and neither was the fallen Superman. And then he dis- disappears. Then we see Aquaman and Mara. Aquaman takes Mara to the shore and proposes to her. Then we see Wally appear yet again to someone. In this case, it is Linda Park, um, his wife uh, from the prior universe. If anybody's going to recognize Wally, it's her. He says, "Linda, I'm back." And it's Wally. Take my hand and I can come home. And she says, you, you're, he says, someone who loves you very much. You remind me of when I first met you. That look in your eye, questions on the tip of your tongue. You were still trying to find your voice. And I was trying to find mine. We helped each other. We will again. Uh, we'll help everyone. But it starts with us, Linda. You and me. Forever. And she says, I, I don't know you. And Women. he. Because <laughs> she'd be crazy. <laughs> Uh, um, he disappears back into the speed force slash whatever, uh, says, God, please let her remember me, please. And he disappears. Uh, 
then we see a couple flashes. We see these two new heroes that we're going to be seeing in the pages of Batman. Uh, I, I didn't like the Batman Rebirth special personally, uh, so I don't know if uh, if they've appeared up yet. As is the signal, Gotham, it's not for us, not yet. Uh, while he continues tumbling through time, then we see Constantine in Swamp Thing. And Constantine says, your missus is long gone, Chief. Abby Arcane is lost through the dark side and whatnot. He says, you asked me for my help against the capes, Constantine. That is my price. You've always been in the pain of the arse, you bloody turnip. Then we see Wally appear to several other people. Captain Boomerang, uh, uh, Cyborg, uh, Dick Dick Grayson. Um, And none of that works. Then we see his connection to Wally. The other Wally, the New 52 Wally, the African-American Wally, that is the cousin of this Wally. Um, It's uh, my father, Rudy West, had a sister and a brother, Aunt Iris and Uncle Daniel. As I was as close to Iris as I was far from Daniel, my Uncle Daniel had a child, a cousin I never met. We were both named after our our great-grandfather, Wallace West. That's why they're both, there are two Wally Wests, and they are related, they're cousins. Um, he, uh, receives his powers. Uh, then we see the flash saving a bunch of people. And as he's running back from a crime scene, Wally pops up and he says, Barry, I, you know, you don't know who I am and you won't remember. So this is hello and goodbye. Before I, before I say anything else, you need to go to Batman, ask him about the letter from his father. Tell him there's something wrong with history. Someone has infected it. And you all forgot things, like me. And Barry says, who are you? Wally's racked from pain. He's starting to dissolve into the speed force. He says, Barry, thank you for an amazing life. Thank you for your kindness, for your inspiration, for being there for, for me so, so many times for now, the last time. Barry says, I don't understand. Wally says, I hope one day you will. You were right, Barry. Every second was a gift. That's why I won't die in anguish. I'll go with love in my heart. Goodbye, Barry. Goodbye. And Barry squints his eyes and then suddenly pops them wide open and says, Wally? And reaches out and grabs Wally by the arm and yanks him out of the speed force. And Wally West is officially back and alive in the DC universe. And Barry remembers him. He says, I'm so sorry. My God. And they hug. He says, how could I ever forget you? And it's, uh, he's back. He remembers who he was. He remembers Kid Flash. He remembers his relationship to Iris. He remembers everything. And back down in the Batcave, Batman notices something out of the corner of his eyes. A glint on a far wall uh, past the letter from his father. He goes to investigate it. He gets a little pick. He digs it out of the wall. He pulls it out of the wall. And he pulls in his hands a yellow smiley face button with a blood stain near the right eye. And then in the epilogue, we cut out to space. We pull out from Earth, pull out from the moon to our nearest planet, Mars. And on Mars, we see a watch, a small wrist watch that we saw at the beginning of the story that belonged to Wally and his family. It is taken apart, seemingly telepathically, piece by piece, and reassembled. And it, the caption says, I did the right thing, didn't I? It, worked, it all worked out in the end. In the end, nothing ends, Adrian. Nothing ever ends. 
and then the clock is ticking across the DC universe, and that uh, pretty much hints at nothing more than Watchmen. Boom. Booyah. What do you think, man? I re- overall, I really like this issue, even though, to be fair, there wasn't that much of this issue I didn't know about by the time it actually came out, since they made the ill-advised, or depending on one's point of view, if they wanted to get hype behind it just and make people want to run out and buy it more in a way, maybe it wasn't ill-advised. But the fact that, like, the Friday before, I think, I think it was the Friday before this issue came out is when all the spoilers started coming out about yeah. what was in this issue, and... And then, like, the first 15 pages or 12 pages or whatever it was were available at one point. And so the the big, you know, the big reveal of, of uh, hinting that Dr. Manhattan was the one that somehow stole the 10 years from the DC universe to create the new 52 that we knew that was out there. So there weren't that many, there weren't that many surprises. But that being said, it's still a good, you know, it's still a good book then when you kind of know what you're getting and you read it in... in you still enjoy it just as much. So mm-hmm. I thought it was well written. The art was really good. Not surprising based on the different artists on this book. And this is this is the Jeff Johns that we kind of remember. And I think for the most, we think back fondly of the Jeff Johns who's able to take all these little pieces of things and be able to put them together and make a puzzle that actually seemingly fits together. And, and, and the best of Jeff, Jeff Johns when it comes to trying in the quote-unquote retconning aspect where he doesn't necessarily change a whole lot of things, but he gives you different gives you different perspectives and more insight into things that you didn't see before and explaining, well, this is... Seemingly, this didn't make sense, but now that you see this little this little piece of it, now it makes sense. So... Yeah. It was... I think the, I think the one shot was certainly worth the hype and the build-up towards the event, I think. For sure. Um... Like I said, I was super excited by the Justice Society part and the Legion uh, part, uh, specifically regarding some of the several other things that will be tying into future series. Um, I really didn't care about the Atom stuff. Uh, I mean, kind of, but it really didn't really ramp up for me uh, at all. Uh, I didn't care about the Blue Beetle stuff until Dr. Fate popped in and said, you completely have been misunderstanding what the what the Scarab is. Yeah, that do- caught, yeah, that Doctor, caught my attention. Yeah, Doctor Fate was the best part of that little multi-page, uh, those connective se- connected scenes between uh, the Blue Beetle and the and the Atom. I think that was that was that was the only part of it. That, I mean, obviously, people like to see Ted Cord and see him alive again, but I do think the Doctor Fate reveal, the you know, the classic Doctor Fate reveal, is uh, that was probably and what he said. Oh, that you combine the two. I think that was the highlight of that. You know part of the book yeah. uh damien blowing out his candles you know to be honest with you i wasn't initially interested in it until i've uh, you know made sure i re- reread the lois and clark series and have started reading the new superman series i'm actually excited for that super sons book that they're going to be doing with damien and then uh is it's jonathan uh, i think so john uh clark's son so that's going to be kind of interesting so that's cool um, it was cool to see uh, Jackson back, uh, the Aqualad, uh, but he seems depressed and down, and I don't know how I feel about you know that kind of a thing. But I guess you can't all be smiles and happiness and everything in this book. Some people have to be suffering a little bit. Um, 
but yeah, the, the, the green arrow stuff, uh, that was cool to see. Uh, I've been reading the green arrow book now, the green arrow rebirth special and green arrow number one. And I, I like it. Uh, at first I didn't want to read it because they were using the term social justice warrior, right? Specific, specifically that term. And I was like really put off by that. But I actually kind of enjoy it uh, in this the way it's executed. I still don't like the term, but the execution is nice. Um, you got the Clark part at, um, at the Seagull Motel. Yes, that's true. At the Seagull Motel, I did not mention that. That's that's true. Um, now, are we thinking that uh, Mr. Oz is Ozymandias? Yeah, I think. I sorry. I think it has. To, yeah, I think it's Ozymandias. Yeah, I think it has to be. I think certainly it's, it's if it's not let's put it this way it doesn't quote unquote have to be but they're certain they're certainly connecting the dots to make you believe that it is especially with Doctor Manhattan being hinted at, at at the the architect of the New Fifty Two and then having them potentially you know come back together or be at odds or whatever that yeah well see now I've never read Watchmen the actual comic book I've seen the movie and I've probably read snippets here and there from the actual comic book. Um, is it fair to say that in the movie uh, and and in the comic it's the same in terms of um, uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan and the other Watchmen trying to be the heroes that are taking out Ozymandias' plot? I believe that is correct. Based on, okay. I do have I do have the graphic novel. I'm pretty sh- I am pretty sure the basic end of the movie and the book are the same, except for, of course, the giant squid being not used in the movie and Dr. Manhattan being blamed for everything in the movie, but that's not the way it went in the, in the, in the book. But yes, the, but the, all, the whole idea of, of uh, Adrian being behind everything and kind of telling, you know, not the, the, the non-cliche cliche about telling them about a secret plot, but him telling them after basically it, it's already happened. Uh, that's all. That's all from the, the source material. Okay, so it'd be interesting here if, if the roles have now been reversed. Yes, Manhattan is the evil person, and Adrian is now. I wouldn't necessarily say the hero, but he's starting to warn people, kind of just put set him on the path. And I think, yeah, and I think it's going to be, and whether it's truly evil, I mean, in a way, this this could be another like like a parallax like figure with Doctor Manhattan because Doctor Manhattan kind of was at the point where he kind of was getting beyond your basic concepts of good or evil anyway, and then so you could make a strong case that his experience dealing with Adrian kind of made him maybe made him look at things from a different perspective. So maybe so he probably doesn't. Th- who know, I mean, once we find out what the motivation is, we'll understand. Maybe it was, maybe yes. I don't think it was certainly to be evil. It's going. I don't think it'll be that simple an explanation. It could just be him experimenting. It could be him playing. You know, I don't know. So, but I think yes, they're they're, they're they are setting it up for what it's worth. That on the surface, it would seem like Doctor Manhattan now is going to be the is going to be the the problem. And and if anything, uh, Ozymandias is going to be trying to point them in the direction of maybe how to stop him, but. Whether that's just for his own uh, his own purpose, you know, for self for his own selfish needs, why he needs that, only I guess we'll I guess we'll find out. Yeah, um, Aquaman proposing to Mara, awesome. Those two finally getting back to kind of their roots. Um, I have read the Aquaman Rebirth special, and I have number one. I just haven't yet read it yet. It hasn't yet grabbed me for, but from what I'm hearing from other Aquaman fans. 
uh, it's on the right track slash exciting. So um, maybe it's just that, just not for me, but uh, evidently a lot of people see it as a return to something good. So, but we'll see. Um, the whole stuff with Linda was almost as heartbreaking as the hug between Wally and Barry. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was that was a kick in the groin. For sure. I've always seen uh Wally and Linda's almost as stable and as important as Barry and Iris. So that's uh that's interesting. The Gotham stuff, the 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 Gotham heroes, um I think one of them is actually called Gotham. Um I don't really know what's going on with that. Uh, it seems like that's going to be playing out in the pages of Batman. Uh, and I wonder if also the Joker storyline, the three Jokers thing, is also playing out in Batman. Is there a detective? There is a detective, isn't there? I believe so. Because I'm interested in all-star Batman with Two-Face. And if the Gotham stuff is playing out in Batman and the Joker stuff is playing out in Detective... I might have to follow Detective because I really don't care for the Batman stuff I've read so far. Now, that's not to say the Batman Rebirth special was bad, per se. It just, of the four that came out that day, I think it was it was Superman, Batman, Green Lanterns, and Green Arrow, I think, all came out the same day. Um of the four that came out that day, it was my least favorite, was the Batman. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was bad, just the worst of the four. <laughs> it was less good. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm interested in the Constantine Swamp thing. Uh, the Constantine Swamp thing thing. Um, <laughs> but this whole magic versus the superheroes thing has been done before, and I'm that makes me a little bit nervous, but kind of just like the setup for all the rest of the cool stuff coming out of this makes me wonder if I should just give this concept another chance and see them do it differently and better. I don't, it's, it's, again, I haven't been paying attention to a lot. Have they, did, did they say anything about a Constantine, a Hellblazer or a Swamp Thing book? I don't think so. I'm flipping through the back advertisements right now. Um... Yeah, I don't see anything. Now, there is a Rebirth checklist, checklist as well. Yep. Um, Birds of Prey. The, the Hellblazer Rebirth. The dark and dangerous mystic returns to his roots as old threats sprout back up July 20th. I don't see a Swamp Thing. Or no, Swamp like Thing, I'm just pretty sure there isn't one. So, he, he, so I, I'm going to assume that Swamp Thing will be in the Hellblazer book. We'll see. Uh, I'd be interested in seeing that, especially since the uh, six-issue mini Swamp Thing series by Len Wein just wrapped up, and that was pretty popular with people. Um, The tie-in to Wally of the New 52, that was cool. I like how they explained that. I was kind of thinking, like, oh, God, this seems contrived. You know, a a family member I just never happened to know about. Um, But at the same time, there was so much goodwill built up to me in this book so far at this point that I was just like you know what I'll I'll bite the bullet like fine I'll accept this um, the stuff between Wally and Flash was just awesome especially the hug <laughs> it's just like 
Barry is just like, how could I have possibly forgotten you? And you're like, well, duh. <laughs> it's Wally, you asshole. <laughs> uh, so there's that. The Watchmen stuff, I mean, while cool, does nothing for me because I have no particular attachment to those characters. But I think that helps rather than hinders. Rather than me going, oh, no, they're ruining Watchmen by doing this to them. Or, you know, going, oh, no, does everything have to be about Watchmen? Like, whether I'm on either side of the coin doesn't matter because I'm sort of in this neutral place with them. That I know enough about them to know, okay, there's some power. There's some darkness. There's some maybe motivation behind all of this. So I guess it's okay for them to be, or at least Manhattan, to be the big bad in all of this. So, that's that's kind of cool. I did like seeing all of that, though. It was clever. Yeah, for sure. So at least, so now at least, now we have you know the proper perspective. We can look, now we kind of know what the Dio was referring to about how you know maybe the most controversial page or panel like in, in ever in a DC book, which still is probably hyperbole, but still. But now you know kind of like where he was going with it, why it would be controversial by kind of tying the Watchmen into. Not just tying the Watchmen into, you know, the main DCU, but kind of hinting at, you know, who was who could be behind, you know, the missing ten years, if you will. So, um, we were going to talk about this later, but we might as well now, just because the ads are here. I'm going to go through these one by one. You tell me if you've read these or if you've heard anything that makes you curious about them. So, first one, Titans number one. No, uh, I have read it. And it was phenomenal. Talk about hugging. There's a huge group shot hug between Wally and all the Titans when at the end of the issue, spoilers, they finally remember who he was. Um, just like the entire Titans team just hugs each other. It was awesome. Uh, the Flash number one. I have, the, I have the Flash Rebirth special number one. I do have that. Uh, I've, I, I've read it. The, the Rebirth special, not number one. Yes. Um, Keep in mind, guys, all of these are actually the Rebirth specials um, uh, that we're talking about here. Uh, the Flash Rebirth number one special, uh, I've had it, I've read it. Did you read it? Yes. Okay. Did you like it? I liked it, but I will have to say I bought it because I read the rev- – I bought it because I, I, I saw the review, I think, on Newsarama. And to be fair, everything you need to, needed to know about what was in the book was in the review on Newsarama. So if you read the review you pro- and you haven't already bought the book, you probably really don't need to buy the book, honestly. Uh, I know that's not good for DC for me to say, but I'm being honest. So there really wasn't there really wasn't much more simply put that I gained from actually having the book and going through it than what I than what I saw in the review. But it was but it was good. You get a lot of you get some of the rehash of Wally. And Flash and Barry from this mo- from this book, and then you get a little bit of uh, like I think Barry Allen and but Batman trying to start looking into what could be behind uh, what could have been behind or who is behind the you know, the mystery of what you know what's the ten years and the things people don't forget remember and things like that. So, yeah. but there isn't. But and the fact that Wally Wally slip Barry and Bruce decide to keep that amongst themselves for the time being. Which is kind of interesting. But. Um, I got it. I read it. I didn't like the art. The art really took me out of it. Yeah, the art wasn't good. The art, the art was definitely not good. Yeah. Uh, another thing. Let's see here. We see Batman. Batman. Nope. Okay. I read it. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't remember much about it. I just remember going, 
eh, there's so many other things I like here and we'll start picking up and being curious about. I'm just not going to get this. Um, it's written by Tom King and the art's by David Finch and uh, Mikael Janin. Um, it's not bad art and it's not a bad story. It's just not – it didn't grab me. It wasn't that the story was bad. It wasn't that the art was bad. It wasn't that it wasn't even interesting. It's just not as interesting as the other stuff I've read. Uh, Teen Titans. No. No, I didn't even read it, pick it up. Um, obviously, Green Lanterns. Oh, no, we didn't read them. No. <laughs> Hell no. no. <laughs> uh, Green Arrow. No. Read it, liked it. Uh, art is not phenomenal, but I think it's a good transition if you were reading the Green Arrow series and if you were reading the Black Canary series. The Black Canary series had her as like the, uh, I don't know, rock star, pop star, whatever you want to call her, um, uh, crime fighter. And the Green Arrow series, this is, I think, Benjamin Percy was also writing the last few issues of the Green Arrow series um, in the, you know, New 52, when it was the New 52. Um, so it's a continuation slash setup of his story and a blending of art styles to where I think it's a good transition for either person. It's realistic enough to be a transition from the old series, New 52 Green Arrow series, into the new one. And it's also artsy enough to be a it's, – it's, like it's like a middle ground between the artsy, weird style uh, that was in the Black Canary series and, a, and the more realistic-ish type style that was in the Green Arrow series. So I thought that was kind of a cool transition. Um, Aquaman. No. Yeah, read that, like that. I did like it. I'm not going to... I'm probably going to continue getting it digitally just for like a small handful of issues and then read them all at a clip and see if my mind has changed. Um, but at the end of... I don't remember if it was Rebirth Special or number one, Black Manta shows up. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm down for another Black Manta story. Uh, Wonder Woman. No. Yes, I read it. It was hard to get through for whatever reason, but I did get the number one as well. So I'm looking forward to it, um, trying to figure out, you know, what's what's what. Um, just the way they piped it in that uh, panel about the rebirth stuff in the titles uh, was that WonderCon. Um, yes, I think so. That made me intrigued. Just the, you know. It's it's shipping biweekly like all these other ones, but it's only going it's it's going to be splitting duties. You know, one storyline is, is going to alternate. You know, it, I think like I don't know if it's the evens or the odds, but one of them is going to be one. So uh, let's say odds are going to be a story in the present, and evens are, are going to be a story in the past. So I, that concept intrigued me. So I was you know picking up a couple issues, see if I like it. A Suicide Squad. No. Nope, me neither. Um, Action Comics. Yes. Okay, what did you think of that? I did not pick that up. I have been intrigued by the costume and everything that Lex is wearing, but what did you think? I liked it. I And actually, I, the, sec, the uh, actual number, well, since they didn't actually, but Action action Comics, they didn't really bother with the, uh, they actually didn't do the, they kept the numbering for Action mm -hmm. Comics, which is, which is kind of interesting. I'm glad. I well, like they're so they're so close to a thousand. That's it's... yeah, and, and I, I, and I, 
on a complete aside, I just wish they would honor the you know the classic numbering, the normal numbering, instead of going over the quick satis the instant satisfaction of getting the new number ones and then deciding, you know, this kind of sucks. If we didn't do this, we'd be up to almost issue a thousand. So let's add the numbers back and. So yeah, I have the first two issues of Action Comics, nine fifty seven and nine fifty eight. Uh, I I like it. It's Dan Jurgens writing Superman, so that's always a plus. It's kind of it's bringing it's bringing back, if not classic Doomsday, a hint that it's classic Doomsday. Uh, so that's a plus. I like the interaction between Lex and the returning Superman, if you will. And then we have the Clark, whoever this Clark Kent is that shows up, who's not. Who is Nazi Superman fighting Doomsday? So we, so you have that mystery, you have that mystery going on too. So I, I can't guarantee you once, you know, once all this initial storyline with Doomsday and all the stuff is resolved, that I'll keep reading the book because super, my interest in Superman is greatly dependent on what the storyline is. You know, you deal with, you deal with Doomsday, you deal with Cyborg Superman, which of course we know our Cyborg Superman as of the moment has it does not exist. Uh, and you deal with Eradicator, who does exist. A version of the Eradicator does exist in, an, in another DC book, another Superman book. Uh, now, but you deal with that. I'm interested. Dated, you know. Other than that, right, I don't. I'm, my interest kind of wanes. But so far, I really, really like this. It's so I would. I probably, in all honesty, not that this is going out on much of a limb so far, but I would say I certainly like the first two issues I've read of Action Comics more than the Green Lantern stuff I've read so far. <laughs> Spoiler uh, alert! Superman number one. No, but I think that's the one that the Eradicator is going to show up in. So I think maybe I think that might yeah I think that is the one. So I think I'm going to start pulling that. I think I'm going to start pulling that, but I didn't get the the uh, number one of the special. So Green Lantern fans, Superman is written by Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. With art by Patrick Gleason and Doug Monkey. I know that's pretty. Yeah, that's that's a big Green Lantern reunion right there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, not to mention, it's following this Clark from the Lois and Clark series and his family. I've been bitching for a while that the Superman of the New Fifty Two is too dark and moody and arrogant and egotistical and blah 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 blah. And I finally figured it was time to put my money where my mouth was and uh, get the Superman title. Um, because it is a Clark that I recognize uh, somewhat. You know, he's got a he's got Lois as his wife, which isn't necessarily new, but he's got a son too. So seeing him in the father role and seeing him slowly, reluctantly step into uh, you know Clark of the New Fifty Two's role and take on that responsibility. Um, I don't know. It's just it's just cool. I like it. I really do like it. It's one of my favorite ones uh, right now. So Batman Rebirth, just reading the checklist. Batman Rebirth, Green Arrow Rebirth. These are all going to be Rebirth. Um, uh, Green Lanterns, Superman, Aquaman, The Flash, Wonder Woman, Titans. Uh, those are all out. Coming uh, as we record this. Coming out soon. Justice League. I'll be getting that. Mark, are you going to get that? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm I'm still on the fence about Justice League. Uh, supposedly Simon and Jessica are featuring heavily, at least in the first story arc. Uh, I'm going to read the first two or three issues to see if that's true. And if it is, I'll continue that story arc. Uh, and if it doesn't catch me by the end of that story arc, I'm dropping that series. Um, but it is Brian Hitch, so we'll see. 
Uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. No, we're all skipping it. Uh, uh, Nightwing, that's coming out on the 13th of July. Are you going to get that? Nope. Okay. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, July 20th. No. Yeah, me neither. Hellblazer Rebirth uh, by Simon Oliver and Moriat um, on July 20th. I think I'm going to get at least the Rebirth special to see what's going on based on that one panel from this issue. It's more intrig- It would be more intriguing with Swamp Thing in it, but I'm still probably leaning towards Nell on that one. Uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, July 27th. No. Not me either. Suicide Squad on August 3rd. No. Okay. Deathstroke, August 10th. No. Not me neither on either of those. Supergirl, August 17th. Probably not. Probably, for me. Uh, I did like the what I've seen of the art, at least the covers on some of these, so I'm probably at least going to get the Rebirth special. Now, Blue Beetle, the 24th of August. No. Uh, it says Ted Cord and Dr. Fate team to unlock the secrets of Jaime Reyes's powers. I'll probably get the reverse special just because I'm curious about the Dr. Fate slash magical side of the Scarab. Um, Cyborg on September 7th. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I liked, I was getting the uh, New 52 series, the 12-issue thing that just ended, um, but that was just because Yvonne Hayes was doing most of the art. Um, I just, I, maybe I just don't care about Cyborg or maybe I just don't care about the stories I've read with him. Um, you don't teen care, Ti- you don't care about Cyborg, Chad, you can say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Teen Titans, uh, September 28th. Not for me. Okay. Me neither. Um, and Batman Beyond, September 28th. Doubtful. Yeah, but it is Dan Jurgens. Yes, that's always a plus. And it is Terry McGinnis. That's also a plus. So maybe for me. All right. Uh, that is the Reaver special. We've given it roughly an hour. Uh, so moving Good night, on. everybody. Yeah, do you have <laughs> anything else to say about this before we move on to your stuff? No. All right, Green Lantern's Reaver special number one. Take it away, dude. The cover's really, really good. <laughs> We talked about this before. The, the homage to the to Green Lantern Rebirth number one, the classic Rebirth, the miniseries, uh, just with, with Jessica having taking the role of the Spectre, holding up the power battery, and seeing Simon in it as opposed to seeing Parallax in it. That's a that's a nice cover. Uh, the creative team on this is Jeff Johns and Sam Humphreys, and it's pretty easy to see probably where Jeff Johns' influence was in this issue. Uh, the art was by Ethan Van Skyver and Ed Bennis. Jason Wright colors. Travis Lanham letters. Uh, Van Skyver and Wright did one cover. Alex Garner did the variant. Andrew Marino is the assistant editor. Mike Cotton, the editor. And still here for now, group editor Eddie Berganza. So, I'm going... While I'm going to be relatively short and sweet on most of the content on this, I'm going to read the beginning of the narration of this book because this kind of gives, this kind of tells you where you're going with this book, and probably to me, the beginning is the best part of this. I think. I think this this part of the setup for this book, I think, is what intrigues me. Uh, So this is the beginning of the book. Uh, There was a time before the lanterns of Earth, and there was a time after. 
A man too loud and too sure of himself was chosen and inducted into the, inducted into the Green Lantern Corps. He was the first human, Hal Jordan. He stopped Sinestro's militant rule and taught the Corps to listen to their gut instead of the Guardian's rules. He is a problem. After Jordan, another human was chosen, a man who gave the Corps a new perspective. Not all the threats come in the form of the physical. Some come in the form of prejudice and a malformed mindset. John Stewart. He is a problem, too. Then there was Guy Gardner, a creature of fury, out to prove he was worthy of the ring. And Kyle Rayner, an artist who relit the Green Lantern's light when it all had it when it had all but gone out. They are problems as well, but they are not here, and they do not know what I do. They do not see what I see, a vision of the near future. I looked upon the visions of a secret guardian believed long lost and now discovered and hunted, his name unclear, but in his hands guarded for millennia, locked in a sacred box, a mysterious ring. Something new, something of his creation, something forbidden, but it can give me everything I want. So as we're getting this narration, we don't, you know, the majority of that is just based on seeing the, a picture of the galaxy, pretty much, and you kind of see the hues of the emotional spectrum all in there, too. But once we get to the description about this mysterious guardian, who looks very much like a Templar guardian, to be fair, uh, that he's carrying this box, and... These aliens are hunting him, and, and he runs into a, like an armada of ships, and he kind of panics because he doesn't know how to get out of there. Though so he is a guardian of the universe, so you would think he might have a way out. The so, aliens are the Dominators, guys, from the Invasion series. Good, good add-on. That's true. They do mention that. Uh, so, in his panic, he opens the box where, you know, where that mysterious ring is, and we kind of... It's very interesting, the way, you know, because they refer... We get a lot of glimpses at the classic emotional spectrum, but I think there's a hint of more to it. And plus the symbol that it starts creating is something we don't really recognize. So this is the power. This is the power that's unleashed, and, this, and the narrator is, you know, is craving this power. And we don't know who the narrator is yet, but we will shortly. Now we cut back to Michigan where you have Simon Baz going back, kind of like going back to his roots, if you will, like literally, you know, trying to wipe off, you know, a terrorist label on, what, what is it, the garage? His mm -hmm. garage or whatever, his family's garage. And then uh, his FBI friend, or is more almost, slash, kind of like almost like almost like his parole officer, kind of, sort of, but it, uh, he's keeping a tab on, his, the Bureau is keeping a tab on Simon. And we, we find out at this, at this point that Simon pretty much has made this little back, you know, be, behind-the-scenes deal with the FBI, more or less, to to do what he wants, but he essentially has to spy on the Green Lantern Corps. He has to give any information that he has about Green Lanterns and the Green Lantern Corps to the FBI. Uh, while they're having this discussion, you know, Simon Baz's ring calls to him and says, you know, Code 109, an unknown spacecraft that entered terrest terrestrial atmosphere. At the same time, we cut to Oregon, where we cut to Jessica Cruz, who, as we find out, Jessica Cruz has pretty much has this... He's, more or less like a social, a she's socially awkward, but to taken to another level. She's really almost like a. I'm trying to think of the actual term, but she pretty much is. She is so uncomfortable being in public that she pretty much never leaves her apartment, or pretty much hasn't, other than of course whatever she had to do with the Justice League when she was powering. That she pretty much hasn't really left her apartment for years. And she pretty much, but now she has no choice because she's been evicted. So she pretty much bumps into Sarah, who 
is her her sister, I believe. Not that they really tell you this, I think, in this issue, but I think they tell you this in the second issue. While they're having a conversation and Sarah pretty much is going to take Jessica in, Jessica's ring calls to her, gives her the same message. Jessica's power ring takes her to Arizona, where, of course, she bumps into Simon. Uh, for lack of a better, being a little crass, but lack, but just cutting to the cutting to the, uh, the ch- chase. Simon and Jessica end up, and this is a theme throughout this book, kind of get into like a little pissing contest about, oh, I'm Green Lantern, you're Green Lantern, I should be doing this, you should be doing this, or shouldn't be doing this, vice versa. And th- as they go to investigate this, you know, this, you know, this alien craft, we see a manhunter in front of them. No man escapes the manhunters. And you know, Simon Simon is the first to try to engage the Manhunter, and the Manhunter shoots yellow energy. It's kind of interesting, and this is your first hint at probably what's going on, because it says uh, when Simon puts up a shield to block the Manhunter's energy blast, his ring starts charging beyond 100%, which, of course, throws Simon completely off, because even based on Simon's limited knowledge, you would think the Manhunters would, would be draining you. Uh, Simon does end up getting blasted by the man by one of the Manhunters. He gets no- knocked down. Jessica Cruz kind of leaps into action. Uh, at this point, they're not overly successful against the Manhunter. All of a sudden, we hear you know sim- you know the simulation ceased, and we hear guess we would call this a the first that first swing a big miss, and we see Hal Jordan show up. Kind of a weird-looking Hal Jordan, really, uh, for for our Evan Skyver drawing. But so, we find out that this has basically just been Hal setting this Manhunter as a test to see how Jessica and Simon would do against him, and how and, and they pretty they pretty much you know failed miserably in that test. And you know, Hal deactivates the Manhunter, and Hal just explains, you know, it's just a training, it's a training drone, it was a test, and you guys failed, and Simon starts going, it's not my fault, I was following protocol, this newbie pretty much showed up, and and they, they, they start bickering back and forth, which is pretty constant, and Hal kind of like, basically, he steps in and intervenes, and he goes, you know, you got, you're both, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you're both rookies, you know, even you, Simon, you've only had the ring for a few weeks longer, which is kind of interesting how long in real time. We know that, you know, in our time, non-comic book time, Simon's been a Green Lantern now. But either way, uh, or Hal's also probably the sarcasm involved there too, necessarily. He just said, he just kind of making the point that in the big picture, you're not more, much more experienced than Jessica. You're both rookies. So how about you do me a favor and you summon your power batteries? And Simon, again, kind of being cocky and showing off, he goes, done. And Jessica goes, I didn't even know I had one. But <laughs> she pretty much thinks about it and retrieves it. And Hal goes to prove a point that they got to be partners, they have to work together. So he fuses their two power batteries into one. So essentially now they have no choice but to work together because they can only charge their ring from one battery. And he gives them a little talk about how, you know, you need each other. Core is about collaboration. You know, and when you're stationed on Earth, that also goes beyond you two. And, and you kind of see, you know, the Justice League and every and everybody and uh Hal, you know, Hal's just going. The Green Lantern Corps isn't around to help train you, so you've so you've got the next best thing here. You know, the League will be there to help you, which is how they get you know their segue into joining the Justice League. And Hal pretty much leaves, and then we go and then we go back then we go back to the narration, which I will pick up on because it's short and it kind of gets you to you know to who tells you, or t- it leads to telling us who the narrator is. I have seen visions of their future together and apart. 
It has shown me fire, blood, bone, ash. A secret power from a secret guardian. The prophecy said there was the blackest night, then the brightest day. Now comes something else. Sooner will be upon us. The Red Dawn. And now we see that it's Atrocitus, sitting basically on a, on a throne of skulls. That he is, as he calls, you know, refers to himself, the father of the Red Lanterns. And he's sitting there with Bleas. And he goes, Simon, Baz, and Jessica are the two Green Lanterns of Earth now, but they won't be a problem. Our plan for Earth begins now. End of the one shot. Does Vance Guy ever not know how to draw a cat? Oh, you mean Dexter at the end? Yeah. Look well, at that face. Yeah, it's more like it's kind of more like a demon face, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But but again, with all as well as Hal does look in, in almost every other panel of that of the book that Vance Guyver draws him on that one that that splash page is really bad. I think it's the hair that really throws it off more. Than, the face is a little off too, but the hair looks weird. Uh, but yeah. So what did you think? I mean, I liked it. You know, Jeff Johns had a hand in writing this. Um, I do think there's a couple of issues logistically. Um, first, the fact that Hal would give them... Not that Hal would give them shit about bickering, but just kind of like... Him kind of giving Jessica any any sort of flack for not knowing what she's doing. Like, didn't Abin crash to the ship, give you a ring, and said, hey, do with this what you will? <laughs> like... You had no training either, asshole. <laughs> so, um, the other problem I had is him fusing the batteries together. That's not a problem. It's what he says after that. You've got one battery now, and you both need to be together to use it. <laughs> That's going to pro- uh, cause some issues. <laughs> like, I understand them sharing a battery... Um, I understand them maybe even being in the same room with the Justice League, you know, that kind of stuff. But the fact that, like, he can't recharge without her, she can't recharge without him, that that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I get that it's going to cause some tension and plot stuff, and it's a, it's a storytelling device and all this other stuff, but it, it that, that doesn't mean it's a good one. No, we'll have to see how it goes. It obviously, it obviously would be easy, like if they were just now because they're going to be basically taken under the wing of the Justice League. If they were basically going to be living with the Justice League and not living in their hometowns anymore, if they were going to just be living at like at the Watchtower or something else, then it would be okay. Then it makes more sense. It makes more sense. The fact that they still basically have their own lives and their lives are pretty much like a, completely across the country from each other. Yeah, that's going to be a problem, especially if, especially if both their rings, especially if both their rings die out, and they, without them being able to recharge it, and who's going to call? The, who can call the battery back potentially? Yeah, I don't know. There's, uh, other, I mean, there's other, there's, there's, there's other issues in here too. I mean, uh, and clearly, clearly this was by design, and it does work. So, so you have to give them credit for this, but. I think it's they, per, they and I, you can't help. This is my opinion. I don't know if you'll agree, but I can't see how this was not was not a conscious decision. They clearly have decided in the in the beginning of this book to make Simon Baz a much bigger douchebag than we've ever seen him be ever before, personality-wise. And I think that's only being done for one reason, which is to make by default by proxy Jessica Cruz look so much better and so much more relatable because of the fact that Simon is coming across 
as a jerk. Especially like when they have that first interaction when we're talking about like who are you? How'd you get a ring? It's like, did somebody die? Tell me it was Guy Gardner. It's like he hasn't had enough negative experience with Guy Gardner to be making Guy Gardner jokes. Especially because the first Green Lantern he ever really worked with, though Guy wasn't a Lantern at the time, technically because he didn't have his ring during the Third Army, was was Guy. So you know he and they got along pretty well. So I so him jumping on the bandwagon and taking shots at Guy Gardner seemed pretty, pretty, all too easy, all too easy. And so I think just I think they just purposely have set up Simon to be, to be more to be bitchy and and being. Unlikable in the first couple of issues, just in order to make Jessica look more likable, and I think it works. I mean, I like Jessica more than I like Simon just by reading this issue, and I never read her before in my life. But I still, but I think it's sloppy, and I think it's, I think it's out of character for Simon. We've never seen him, even when he was robbing cars, he wasn't this, you know, he's stealing cars, he wasn't this much of a jerk. Do you notice the ship the Manhunter crashed down in is the same ship that Avin crashed down in in the Secret Origins storyline? Probably, Same design. I probably didn't, to be fair. Um, oh yeah, think, yeah, 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 yeah. What do we think the power is? Oh, from the new, Guardian. Yeah, there's new I, power. There's so many different ways they can. Now, go see, the box says it has a ring. The last time we saw a Guardian being super protective over a mysterious box was when Larfley stole the box that had Parallax in it. That's true. So when I first saw the box, you know, because I was looking at the art on the splash before I was reading the narration when I first got the issue, I was like, I wonder if that's an entity in there. But obviously it says a, a mysterious ring. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the ring can't contain an entity or whatever. True. But I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, it's – you can all – at this point, we can only assume there's something about the emotional spectrum we don't know. That maybe – whether it's an, whether it's just – more more colors, which will which most which I won't give a shit, and and I mean this in a negative way, and I mean this in a positive way. It won't bother me if that's the case, but a lot of people will go bananas to that. Just like I'm sure a lot of people already did. The people that are so anti-emotional spectrum, just a mere hint that there could be another core or another another ring or something. That I think I liked it, and I, I think. I think clearly this is the Jeff Johns influence on this book. <laughs> I'm sure that was the Jeff John that was Jeff Johns's idea. I'm sure I'd be stunned if that was not Jeff Johns influence on this book to have they have the guardian they have the ring they have it tied to the emotional spectrum i like that part that's the part that drew me into this book that's the part that's going to make me other than doing this podcast that's the part that's going to make that's what intrigued me enough to to keep reading this book to find out who this guardian is to find out uh what that power is how it relates to the to the emotional spectrum things like that 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 intrigues me as I know, you've talked about on on Twitter, and we were, and we'll, and we might as well mention it somewhat now because issue two, I mean issue number one, but our second Green Lanterns issue of the night is only going to kind of add to this. That there's a lot of logistically, there's a lot of things that are still left open that we don't have answers to. And let's forget about the core, where how they came back, you know, and or where you know who took them and stuff like that, which we hope we get the answer to in Hal's book. We still have no idea, and we and, on, and honestly, we have to we have to kind of lay the, lay this at the foot of uh, I think of Cullen to a certain extent, because he kind of he kind of did this in uh, he kind of did this in in Lobo first before tying it into the Sinestro book. We still have no idea how Dexter, how Atrocis 
kind of escaped from wherever they were after Guy beat them the last time, how they escaped, how they got their rings back, how Atrocitus took over the core again, why Belize is working with with Atrocitus again, when the last time they were interacting, before we saw them in in uh, Lobo, Belize was still anti-Atrocitus and was more on the Guy Gardner side, yeah. side of things. There are yeah. lots of things about the this, and, and we talked about this when we were talking about Lobo. That's why I think I even asked you. It's like we didn't, we like the this didn't show up like in the in the annual or whatever of Lobo when they the first I think the first tie-in that was getting into the whole crossover to the emotional spectrum part did it because to me it seemed like we're, we were missing something. What, where, what, how is this how is this arrangement possible and where do they come back from? We don't know any of that. Now, yes, to be fair, we're probably going to get some of that, but we should have gotten some of that already considering that. You, you go back to Lobo, you go back to the end of the Sinestro run, and now you have the first two issues of Green Lanterns, and we still have no answers to any of those things. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a that's kind of a problem. Uh, well, well, one last thing I have for this is the Justice League aspect of it. Now, obviously, that's setting up Justice League, uh, the 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 series. Uh, it's also there's two sides of a coin for this, um, and I'm going to use like I always use the. Uh, the Green Lantern Heroes Quest novel, as an example, uh, when Kyle Rayner meets the Justice League for the first time in that storyline, uh, they offer him membership in the in the Justice League, uh, and he screws up a couple of times. He says, you know, he says he's going to show up for meetings, and he doesn't. Uh, he says he's going to respond to his JLA communicator to respond to emergencies, and he doesn't, and it's a whole thing. So during one of his meetings after one of his screw-ups, he is talking to the Justice League on the Watchtower. And Ray Palmer is against uh, giving him admission into the League and all this. And he says, like, you know, maybe we should train him, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Batman interrupts and says, why? Do you know how to use the ring? So, you know, he and Batman makes the point, you know, like, we all operate differently you know and basically what he says is you know let let the newbie be given provisional access to the league um you know tell him what he needs to know but don't show him any more than that and the idea being if he gives enough you know we give him enough rope he'll hang himself uh that kind of a thing so they you know don't give him too much access to where he could compromise the league you know that kind of a thing so i kind of see that here you know the two newbies being handed off to the Justice League to be trained. Well, the Justice League doesn't know how to use the ring. But I could also look at it at the other side of the coin and go, Simon kind of does. And Jessica kind of does. Uh, Just with her experience as Power Ring and just her kind of general being around superheroes. Um, And her experience with Hal. Hal may have helped her use the Power Ring Power Ring. But she also got to see him do his thing in the Justice League title. So they both have relative experience. And plus, one of the things that the Green Lantern Heroes Quest novel didn't have that the comics here do is that, in this case, the rings can talk to Jessica and Simon. They can teach them things, at least some facts, that they need to know. Not not just about how the ring works, but just sort of interstellar threats and stuff that they need to learn along the way. So I see the two sides of the coin. Like, 
handing him off to a just, the Justice League is a bad idea because what can the Justice League really do to help them learn to use their power? But it's also a good idea because at least, you know, in terms of using the ring, they have access to most of the information they need, but the Justice League can just teach them to work together. Yeah, I think that I that's a good point. I think that's the main point, just by witnessing and observing and the under, and they get the team concept. They understand of, you know, the whole being greater than the sum of its parts, that kind of that kind of thing. And that and also the idea of, which goes hand in hand with that, the idea of not letting your ego and and not, not everything being a competition. Not where like I'm Greenland, I'm like, I'm one A and you're you know and you're one B and things like that. It, that it does that A that's not the way it works. You know we're, we all pretty much are essentially equals here. We all we all do something that the others don't, and the fact that it, as long as we succeed in the end, it doesn't really matter. You know who, who's the MVP of the day? You know who gets the, yeah. who gets the game ball for the day doesn't really matter as long as you know we're, we're, we're we got the trophy. You know. I gotcha. All right. Anything else about Green Lantern's Rebirth Special Number One? I did. I I did like the, this issue. I overall, I but you know, like the things that I pointed out, I did. It did kind of bother me. I definitely sensed the thing about Simon about Simon being much less likable than he was in the previous times we've read him. And again, it would be. I think it would be naive to think that that wasn't a conscious. You know, editorial decision to try to boost up Jessica Cruz's likability, but just by proxy, making making her kind of be the persecuted rookie, making him coming across as almost, which is which is ironic to the insults Guy Gardner, but coming across very Guy Gardner like, being very petty on the or old Guy Gardner like, very petty. Uh, but I, but it, it, for the one shot, I think it works. I think. I think that again, we could see where Johns's influence was in setting the stage for this. I'm not against the Red Lanterns being the villains. I'm not against Atrocitus becoming a bigger player again because he'd kind of been he he kind of was marginalized a lot once Guy that was the, that was the only negative to Guy Gardner's role in that book in once the uh, after the Johns era ended. Right. That was the only negative, is that Atrostis as a threat, much like we've seen Laura Flees as a threat, that they both have been marginalized and just for different reasons. Because it's kind of hard. No, I mean, honestly, no matter what kind of power they end up getting or how they recharge at this point, it's really going to be hard. If, if, if Guy Gardner is squaring off against Atrostis, it's really going to be hard to think Guy's not going to beat him because Guy's beaten the hell out of him like two straight times. Yeah, you know, it's, it and I, and I'm, that's probably what they want you to think. So Atrocitus can will, will beat him, and then then he will, just to throw it, you know, throw you know the monkey wrench into the works there, the you know throw the gremlin in the works too, just to throw it, just so you don't know. But it, but based on what we've seen, it's hard to see Atrocitus as as that much of a threat since the Red Lanterns have really gotten their asses kicked repeatedly over and over again, certainly since the uh, the Johns era ended. Yeah, um, Green Lanterns number one. Green Lanterns number one. I so, like the second cover better than the first one. What's the, what's the second? You mean the cover to the this one issue, or you mean this the alternate cover? The alternate cover to this issue with Jessica. Which one's that? Because that's not the one I have. Uh, you have the one with Simon Jessica yes. Blees. Okay. Uh, this one is of Jessica out in uh, space. Oh, I've uh, seen that cover. Okay, yeah. Holding the lantern while energy flies around her. She's outside of Earth's orbit. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, I, that, that, cool. I, that that is a, that is a, that is a cool cover. Uh, so we get, I mean we get a little bit of background against. Uh, which is not surprising because these are supposed to be jumping on points. We get a little bit of background about the emotional spectrum and the Green Lantern Corps and how they all reunited in Blackest Night and this, that, and the other thing. And then we see Jessica and Simon show up in Arizona, a different part of Arizona, but Pima County, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And basically there, there's a, there was an, an unauthorized alien was detected. We're getting all these. We're getting these nice little definitions of all these different codes that the rings must have. <laughs> Whatever, like puppy in a tree would be, or cat in a tree, pup, puppy stuck in a well. So the art's pretty cool in this part when Je- you know when Jessica and Simon first land, and and you know Jessica's like after you. With, you know Simon goes with pleasure. They both put their ring hands out and energy. And I like the way the, the energy flows in different ways for them. I think that's I think that's pretty neat. Just like, you know, Jessica Cruz's symbol, and a lot of people don't like it, but I don't have an issue with it. You know, just like when she was powering, the energy symbol comes up, you know, the hologram, if you will, it kind of like comes off her eye and not off, like, off her chest as much. So this is this issue is called Rage Planet. Humphreys is Sam, is still the writer. Uh, Robes and Ro- is it Roca or Roca, right? Robes and Roca, I don't, yeah. I, I think. I think it's Roca. Uh, he's, he's a penciler. Jay Lestein is the inks, blonde color, Dave Sharp, letterer, Roca, Prado, uh, Medid, Medid? Uh, mm, I'm uh, not sure. It, did, the main cover, the varying cover was, jeez, these names are great, uh, Lupacino, uh, and Mori, Andrew Marino, the editor, Mike Cotton, the, excuse me, Marino was the assistant editor, Mike Cotton was the editor, and Eddie Berganza is the group editor. So they're leaping into action. You have, you know, I'm Jessica Cruz. I'm Simon Baz. They both are giving their different like narrations of what's going on. I do kind of like the, like the the ram shaped, uh, battering the, appropriately. The you know the true horn shape of a ram and the battering ram that construct that's created. Uh, you know they they break open the, they break open this door. We have this you know this seemingly this rage infected person with a red lantern symbol on their chest, like shooting a shotgun at Jessica and Simon. You know, he's screaming, like, back the you-know-what off. The blue woman owes me a ring. Uh, you know, she, he shoots at Jessica. You know, Jessica fly, goes flying backwards, and Simon actually seems concerned, which is which is pretty impressive of considering. But Jessica did was able to block it with, with her shield, so she was okay. You know, Simon gets really, really angry. Uh, this, this rage-infected guy goes, you know, I made the sacrifices, I perfected the tower, I want my ring now. Simon pretty much goes, he charges in, and he just, like, he clocks this guy, knocks him out cold, and and then they, fi- and then they find the, the unauthorized alien was pretty much this this creature that was, it's like, almost, pretty much, was pretty much crucified on the wall. Mm-hmm. With red lantern symbols all around, and you know guts ripped open and everything else, and Jessica's like, "Is it is it dead?" And of course, now the, more more new codes as we find out that an unlawful execution was detected. We hear the familiar bum 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 of the red lanterns. Uh, Jessica's kind of being borderline nauseous after seeing this. Uh, Simon kind of slips back into like not very helpful, but. Mo is like, you know, you got to pull it together, Jessica. It's like, you know, case closed unless you want to call the cops. And then all of a sudden, Jessica, you see the you see the basement of this building, and you see like bodies upon bodies. Now they're not 
Are they are they mostly human bodies? Are they? Because it's kind of hard to see because they're all intertwined. It looks like they're, it. I mean, it looks like they might not all be because some of them like on the. Or they could just be decomposing. Right, that's true too. But there's a whole crapload of bodies in here, and then it's like, uh, yeah, definitely call the cops. So you know, so the cops show up and we find out there's you know there's at least twelve bodies in there, uh, and it's, you know. And of course now they, now they they get insulted by the cops. It's like you know we need the big guns. They call in the real Kree lanterns. <laughs> and uh, at this point, you know, I guess a lot of a lot of missing people, their families have been. Once they, I guess they must have heard about this. That you know they found a bunch of bodies. So everybody's at the crime. A lot of people are at the crime scene trying to basically see if their loved ones are in the in the pile of bodies. And this woman who comes running. Towards Jessica, it's like, you know, why did this happen to my son? The cops said they can't talk about what happened. Promise you'll find out who did this and why. Promise you'll make them pay. And as she's saying this, you know, her eyes are turning red, and you know, hear the bum 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 bum. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody behind her is like, justice, we want revenge. And like the bum bum becomes, you know, it just keeps building to a crescendo and becomes almost deafening. And, you know, Simon's like, you know, it's coming from the shed, you know, ring scan. And all of a sudden, you know, the ring, uh, yet another ring code, like a rage level spiking. And they basically make the determination. It's a bomb. You know, they, they cover up, they cover up all the people in, in the shield. And the explosion takes place. And now we kind of, we see what this tower was, uh, the kind of like the, the rage, a rage tower. Um, I think they call it the hell tower later in the book. But either way, that that's essentially, it's this big red tower. Of rage that now stands revealed, all all the people were saved in you know inside the green energy shield. You know Simon's like you know you were right I was you know I was wrong this is not as simple as I thought you know this junkie didn't do it do it alone you know who is this blue lady you know we hear freeze and now we kind of get uh this is Amanda Waller Mm-mm. isn't it it's just an Argus agent oh Amanda that's right Amanda Waller says hello I'm sorry Freudian yeah. slip uh my mistake. That basically uh, coming speaking on behalf of Amanda Waller, but they're pretty much you know they're 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 kind of like coming in to take control of the situation, and they're more or less saying, hey, you know, if you don't want the full force of the federal government, you know, for, coming down upon you, you better leave. And that really getting you know, strikes kind of like strikes a nerve with Simon for more for very you know for obvious reasons based on his background, and but Jessica talk you know Jessica pretty much talks him into you know, we probably should leave at this moment. Um, now we cut to Ismalt, which is not in Sector 666. Mistake number one. Um, that Riot is in 666. Ismalt is in 2814. So that was poorly researched. So we have Atrocitus lifting Blee's up. Uh, and Atrocitus looks really weird. Uh, his body doesn't quite look in proportion in his head. But we have Atrocitus who grabs Blee's, and he pretty much is uh, kind of, you know, he's, he's kind of like, he kind of gives us this background about how you know the the you know the Red Lanterns are dying slowly. Their connection to the Rage is deteriorating. So you know this Hell Tower, it's kind of seemingly is going to be the key for them getting you know becoming recharged and regaining their control and their touch and their relationship to the to the Red Power. That you know the Hell Tower was was discovered prematurely by the Green Lantern Corps, but you know but it's not too late. Blaze is, of course, being choked during this whole like monologue by Atrocitus, and you know she's you know she swears she's not going to fail, and Atrocitus kind of drives it home. It's like you know we're facing extinction. You know you we cannot fail. Like survival depends on the Hell Tower. It must stand until we have the Rage Seed, whatever the hell that's going to be. Like protect the tower. Red Dawn is coming. 
the Red Lanterns will never die. Now we switch back to their, the respective home, uh, the hometowns of Jessica and Simon. We see Jessica in Portland, Oregon with her sister, and they're kind of shopping for, like, for stuff for, uh, for, Je for Jessica if she's going to be staying with her sister. Uh, Jessica's ring tells, you know, calls to her and tells her that the rage levels are spiking again, code red 12, that, you know, the epicenter of rage has been located. And we find out that the, the epicenter that the, the, her ring is detecting is within 10 feet of her. We cut to Simon in Michigan, and he's talking with his family about and and his you know, his FBI uh, associate there, his uh, watcher, his friend there. Um, he's so Simon's really mad about all about everything that's going on and, and all the stuff, and that he's not he doesn't like being treated this way. Everybody's trying to everybody's trying to cheer him up and everything, and and say you know you're not alone, all all the stuff. Then all of a sudden Simon, you know. You know, Jessica, Jessica calls to Simon with the ring, but when that happens, Simon pretty much has this vision. As we recall, it will be called Emerald Sight. This Simon, Lantern Simon Baz, you have the ability to experience Emerald Sight, whatever the hell that's going to be. So we see a vision of Simon either dead or, or in not good shape, let's put it that way, flat on his back, bleeding out. Anya Smalt. Anya Smalt. Uh, I'm assuming this is supposed to be the Guardian, though he he looks a little different. But it's it's the Guardian with that with that box we've seen before. Going, it's the most powerful ring I've ever created. Something in the center, which could be Atrocitus, could not be Atrocitus. Just has a lot of teeth and red eyes. With the bum 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 bum, we see what Nazir, which is what Simon's brother, right? I, I don't know if it's his brother or, or brother-in-law. Brother One of the two. He was he refers to him as a brother. But, I don't know, I call Gary my brother-in-law. I call him my brother. I'm going right now, without going back and, you know, and checking back issues, I'm going to assume... No, it's it's right here, like this this panel right next to it. No, just... I know, I said, the bro, him calling him bro, I know. Oh, yo, saying, okay, okay. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, no, no, knowing, being able to determine whether it's the brother-in-law or not, I don't... Yeah. Either way... Either way, whether it's his brother or his brother-in-law, we see him going, Simon, I will make you burn with rage, with a red ring on his finger, spitting out the puke, the red napalm. And then we see Jessica going, Simon, it's Jessica, I need help. Now, at that point, we got back to Jessica, and we see Jessica, who is back in, still in the store where she was in before, now in her red, Green Lantern costume, still calling to Simon with all these rage-infected people going after her in the store. And that's pretty much... Uh, well, that's while that's going on. We hear ba bum ba bum ba bum. Atrocitus goes back. I see it now. When they come face to face with their own rage, one lantern will serve, the other will fall, and Earth will succumb to the power of Red Dawn. <clears throat> all right, let's talk about it since all the internet's talking about it. <sighs> Emerald Sight. People have a problem with this. <laughs> have you seen that? Yeah, I, a lot, a lot. A lot of people have not been happy with this. All the this this sudden this brand this brand new power that of all people Simon Bass is lucky enough to be able to access. All right, guys. Um, clearly, some of you out there who are pissed about this. Um, now I say some of you because some of you do know this and are still pissed, anyways. But some of you are pissed and don't know this, and I think I might be able to calm you down a little bit with some education. Two things. 
first and less related. We have not, we are, we are not unaccustomed to rings doing mystical magical shit. This is true. Case in point, Atrocitus and his Red Lantern shit pulling prophecies out of blood. Now that's probably blood magic type stuff as opposed to more dealing with the actual ring. But then again, the ring was formed out of, the ring and its battery was formed out of blood magic anyways. Okay. We've also seen that the Indigo Core, now this is all part of the same first part, my first point. I'm talking about the instances in other cores. We've seen the Indigo Lanterns have some sort of, uh, I don't want to say foreknowledge, but they know some shit that's going down that they never really explain how they know. Okay? The Blue Lanterns. The Blue Lanterns, Mark, you know them better than I do, but the Blue Lanterns have always had this, especially when they first showed up, you know, like Ganthet and Sade said, you know, they'll be needed, and, you know, there's, there's this whole sort of, now, it, it probably comes with the territory since Hope, the Saint, Walker, it's all sort of a religious type type system. So maybe the whole mystical side is present in there. But it's not the first time we've seen other lanterns have some sort of mystical abilities that can't really be explained by, you know, the science, quote-unquote, side of the lantern rings. The second point I will make is, how the hell do you think the Guardians have the Book of Oa? The Book of Oa doesn't just show what's happened in the core. It shows what will happen in the core. It has in the past, several hundred times in the past, outside of the New 52, outside of the Rebirth, we're talking even in the 70s and 80s, the, the Book of Oa has shown future events. Okay? Guys, we review... Um, uh, why can't I... The quarterly books. Remember, there was like a quarterly, at least at least two so far, quarterly stories that show a lantern that's going to be happening, at least at the time of the publication of that comic, in the future. So, if the Book of Oa tied to the Guardians and the Willpower and the Green Energy has to do with all of this and can see the future, why can't maybe a ring access this? I agree with you. Calling it Emerald Sight, kind of lame. The fact that we've never heard of it before, kind of lame. I agree with all of you that it's a kind of weird whatever. But it's not like there's not a precedent. The people out there freaking out because this is just completely batshit insane and completely uncalled for and completely unprecedented. There's nothing before that's ever hinted at anything like this. You're wrong. It has happened before in various types of ways. <laughs> that's true. That is that that is good. Uh, it's hard to know how I would have reacted if I, like I mentioned to you, I actually read this issue relatively late in the game. I didn't pick it up the week it came out, so I had already heard about the. I had not seen the page, but I had heard what the, you know what they called it and basically what it was, and that he saw visions. So I kind of knew what I was getting into when I read the book. So it's hard to know how I would have reacted. I don't think I don't think it would have. I don't think it would have bothered me all that much, personally. Um, maybe because it's Simon, it bothers people more. You know, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. What do you th in general? Wh what do you think about the first two issues so far, or the direction it's going in? I'm anxious to get started. Um. I do 
like I said, I've always wanted more Earth-centric stuff, and it looks like we will be getting that. I don't want them to be pulled out into space, but I'm anxious for this Guardian and this new power to be revealed. I'm anxious for the Red Lanterns to show up and go toe-to-toe. Not influence, like, you know, all these humans in the area being infected by rage and them going up against the Green Lanterns. I want Red Lanterns on Green Lantern fights. I'm, I'm just anxious for everything to get started. Doesn't mean that I don't want to see more characterization, which we are getting. It's just, I, I just with, I, I understand the need for setup. I really do. Um, with 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 uh, the whole rebirth initiative, with all this other stuff, I understand the need for characterization and for setup, specifically the setup because you're bringing in hopefully new readers. So you do need that setup. But for somebody like us who've been reading. We're anxious to just, like, let's get the ball rolling. Let's just jump right into the mess of it, into some awesome, just really exciting storylines. I already know everything I need to know. Let's just get going. I think that's the problem a lot of people are having with this, maybe. Not not the problem, but part of the problem is the people who don't like these are just, let's, are, are just in kind of a, a, a let's go mode. Let's, let's, come on. I read the Rebirth special uh, 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 of of the, the DC Universe Rebirth special, not the Rebirth special of Green Lanterns. I read the Rebirth special. I know where things stand. Okay, Jessica Cruz is a Green Lantern. Okay, and maybe even just the Green Lanterns Rebirth one shot. I read that too. Uh, the stage is set. Let's go. And it's going a little too slow for them, and they don't like that. I'm willing to give it a little bit more rope. I don't know. Yeah, I'm a, I am not turned off by the book yet. I, I could see myself becoming that, <laughs> going that route. I don't – I think the, dan- the danger f- for me and I think – and it probably for other, some other people is that what's driving this book or your interest in this book aren't the main characters. Yes. Really. And I think that's what the issue is. I, mean, I think deep down, let's be honest. It doesn't mean they can't turn it around. It doesn't mean we're not going to be surprised. But let's just go. But let's go back with our original anticipation and/or doubts about this book. We never really believe. It never really seemed overly plausible that the 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 great characters of Simon and Jessica alone were going to make people want to buy this book. That there were going to have to be other things thrown into this book to make people read the book. And you hope you go along and you end up liking the characters too. But in the beginning, you knew these characters were never going to make you want to buy this book. And, and this is why they were decision to make Simon kind of a, more of a rough around the edges, being, and that's being kind in the first, certainly the first issue. A little less in this issue, but still there's an element of it. Making him the bad cop versus Jessica the good cop. The problem with that is that you're still making one of your two, got, your two leads not overly likable while you're trying to prop up the unknown as the, you know, the relatable character. I don't... I, I'll be honest. I do kind of like I, based on limited experience, I do kind of like Jessica so far. I, yeah, me too. I think Jessica, Jessica's cool. Uh, I don't. You know, it would be kind of funny if we keep reading these book after like maybe like five or six issues, and we go, you know what? This book would be better if it was just her. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe that's maybe deep down that's the, really what they want. Uh, if especially if you want to go back to the whole. Putting her in the movie Newsarama theory at some point, uh, which we won't go delve into. But if you want to go with the, the route that this is partially a setup to make her more movie friendly, that there could I, there could be 
a you know a behind the scenes hope anyway that at some point she can be carry this book on her own and you won't need Simon. But to me, it's the it's the atrocitous stuff. It's the Guardian in the, in the in the new ring and the new power. That's what makes this book interesting. It also would be really weird and. If, if all this is going to take place on Earth, if Arkillo and St. Walker don't eventually show up in this book after like three or four issues when when that shit hits the fan, because they are, I mean, they are the they pretty much were left on Earth to protect Earth, right? It was even more, if not, it was even less than Sector Twenty Eight Fourteen. It was more they were supposed to be protecting Earth. So, it would be weird that you know the Red Lanterns of all people are, are trying to take over or call, use or make Earth like this base for them to get their power back, and yet two other lanterns that are stationed on Earth. Clearly, one of them who who could help amp up their power is going to be joining in. Uh, but that's that's down the road. I think the premise intrigues me enough. Where and obviously we're doing the show, so I have to read it. But that's what makes me interested in the book, and I'm kind of hoping Jessica will grow on me. I think there's potential here, but I also see what, exactly what you said. It's developing a little too slow. I've read a lot of things. You know, not a lot, but I've read of comments from from a bunch of people. Some people have liked it, but I still would say more people haven't liked it. You know, I don't. I think it's less than fifty-fifty. I think it's more maybe like sixty-forty, seventy-thirty that kind of leaning against the direction of the book. Having a little Yzmalt, uh sector mistake doesn't help people either. You know, right off the bat, getting something that you can honestly just use Wikipedia to find out what sector it's in. Among other things, do a search for Yuzmalt, and you find like two or three different sources that tell you that it's in Sector 2814. Things like that don't help. Uh, I think there's some poten- I think there's potential here. I'm not, I don't necessarily dislike how you know Humphrey's writing style at this point. So I yeah, I don't see any issue with his writing style. Yeah, I think so. I'm cautious. I, I don't I I being honest it's hard for me to say I'm really optimistic but I'm trying to be a, a little not non-judgmental about what I where, where I think I'm going to be with this book in like five or six issues. I think I like the Red Lanterns. I think like we've talked about the Red Lanterns A have been kind of like marginalized and they have also been uh used quite often. So yeah. I think that is a problem with making them the bad in, in a way if you were going to pick another core though you would kind of be hard so it, well, it's creative thinking. You could come up with a reason. It almost would be more unique to make like the Indigos or somebody like the bad guys because yeah. they they really haven't been used in that role. We saw them be backstabbers and in Godhead, but we but we, they, a they really haven't shown up much, other than in what uh, Lobo. That it'd be somebody different, a core that we haven't really seen being used as a, a you know as a real threat. As a, so that would have kind of been more <laughs> intriguing. Maybe the core hinted at on the cover of this issue that we see zero hint of I know. Actually, it's funny you said that because I was just about to segue into it that that is your perfect example. I may be, I mean, now, mind you, it may be foreshadowing. It may be foreshadowing because maybe Laura Fleas is going to play a role in, in maybe dealing with atrocities and the Red Lanterns, maybe. But, yes, on this cover, for what it is, it's just there to sell books, to make people think, oh, Laura Fleas must be in this book. But he's not. So, Nor is he mentioned. Uh, I don't know if this is a something the writer gave an artist's direction on, or if the artist figured this out himself. But as a longtime Lantern fan, I noticed it, and I want to give minor kudos for it. The alien that's crucified right there on that splash page, 
Notice how they are crucified. The nails in their wrists, in its wrists and feet, are red lantern symbols. Their their nails capped with red lantern symbols. When was the last time we saw somebody crucified on something with those nails, those specific nails, in their hands and feet? Sinestro on Ysmalt after oh, the Red Lanterns yeah. first made their appearance and took him away from the Green Lantern Corps. Good Before, pick up. Good so, pick up. so somebody noticed that and they ran with it. Uh, so that's cool. I, I will promise that. Now, I in the first issue we saw the whole thing between Simon and the FBI. Don't really care about that. Slash, not interested. The wrinkle of that I like added is Argus in these Green Lanterns. Now, I don't want it to play a huge part, but I do like that maybe Argus knows more than it's letting on. Um, maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I like that wrinkle, but it's but just, just having this FBI dude just hang around all the time, that seems like it's going to annoy the shit out of me, but I do like the added, ar- added wrinkle of Argus. I think the, I mean, I think the FBI is guy is supposed to, I guess, I'm going to assume he's going to more or less try to be like Coulson to this guy yeah. at the end of the day, uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree, I, I something we didn't talk much about is the whole Simon kind of being uh, an informant for the FBI to spy on the Green Lantern Corps, I, uh, I, I really have to see how it plays out, I do too, that's it. why I didn't, that, that it, it could, I mean, based on the way things usually play out, you would assume that as time goes by, Simon's either not going to be giving them information or he's going to be giving them bare minimum information or false information or he's just going to get to the point where he tells them to stick it because he realizes where his loyalty is. But it does make you wonder if, if it is if – if, it's a fine line because if, if, you, if you really make him look like an untrustworthy character and where he's you know, – even when the more he gets engrossed and becomes part of the core – and, and what it stands for and everything else, that he's still, you know, he's acting on the surface like he's one of them and maybe even feeling like one of them, but yet he's still, you know, kind of like giving information he shouldn't be giving out to these people. Then that's going to make him look bad, and again, that's going to f- affect the likability. So that may very well have also been yet another re- thing they threw out in the beginning to make him look unlikable, just so you can make him look more likable as time goes on. Uh, one final thing I wanted to mention was a specific word bubble, uh, just because a long time ago I would have pointed this out, and now I honestly don't believe this will lead anywhere. But the phrasing of it is important to know that there might it, it might be hinting at something. This guardian says specifically, "It's the most powerful ring I've ever created." He didn't say it's the most powerful ring ever created. He says it's the most, most powerful ring I've ever created. Meaning he's created more rings in the past. Whether they be existing rings, like, you know, who forged the Orange Lantern battery and ring. We've been led to believe that's Corona, Corona, but we I don't think we've ever, ever actually saw that. Um... You know, who forged what rings? You know, was the Blue Lantern rings and batteries that Ganthet and Sade put out, were they the first ones to ever do that? You know, those kind of questions. Or is are, the, are there more rings or powers that failed, but 
were created for different powers, different things, and the just this is just the most one, the most powerful, the one that worked. So I'm wondering. If, I mean, I again, I doubt it, but I wonder if it's not just this one new uber powerful ring on the table. Maybe there's. Uh, what do you call them? Prototypes. Maybe there's prototypes of other rings out there. Or, like I said, he could have been involved in past rings that we already have, and we are going to be learning more about the history of the other cores through this individual. That's the one I would probably bet on more. They could because they can always backtrack. They can always backtrack and give you more information about other about other rings that he did create or tried to create but it makes but it it makes but it makes more sense I think to find out that whoever this guardian is that he had a hand in creating other rings that we probably know yeah yeah so uh, otherwise that's all I got to say man not a not a bad start though not a bad start I don't think it's as bad as everybody seems to be making it out to be on Twitter and you know the internet at large um but I think, I don't know, I, th- I think everybody just needs to keep in mind that not everybody has been reading Green Lantern as long as we have. And I don't mean just me and you, I just mean people yeah, who have been mean. listening to our show have been reading for a while and just waiting for things to ramp up. So you can't fault them for having the first couple issues go a little slow. I mean, as much as we may want to, as much as we it may affect our enjoyment of it, it's kind of a fact of the business. So I'm, I'm trying to take things with grains of salt because the Rebirth special, the the, the DC re, Universe Rebirth special, uh, instilled a lot of goodwill back in me. I don't 100% trust DC yet again, um, but I did enjoy the Superman title. I did enjoy the Green Arrow title. I'm enjoying things that I wasn't prior, previously reading before Rebirth. So I enjoyed the Titans thing not the team titans the titans thing so it's it's bringing me back but it doesn't have me all the way but it's given me enough goodwill that i'm willing to take the things i don't like with a grain of salt i can understand that and i think to be fair and this this will in a way this could help people's reaction to green lanterns we have no idea what how jordan the green lantern corps is going to be like yet Yep, and a lot of people, and that's the book. Let's be honest, that's the book people were looking forward to to begin with of the two books. And there's a lot of stuff right off the bat that has to be dealt with with Hal. We have to see how you know we have to see how making his ring or losing the going from gauntlet to ring bearer again. We have to see that. We have to you know set the set set the stage, open the door, if you will, for the core to come back in the first you know handful of issues. Dealing with Sinestro, you know, ranks, war world being stuck, you know, right in the middle of where Oeb was, all these things. So that book is more important to hit the ground running, as we for multiple reasons. Since Robert Venditti is also not new on the book, you know, he, and he does not have a lot of goodwill going in. Uh, so that book is very important. So if that book comes out and people don't like the first two issues of that, then I think, at the very least, it's going to deflect criticism off of Green Lanterns real quick. But that's the one that. That's the book that's going to, that would suck a lot of momentum out if it if it does suck, no pun intended. It's, it would just really siphon a lot of the positive vibes right right out of the picture, right out of the tank. If uh, that does not, so I'm looking forward to that book more. 
and I guess in a couple of weeks we're gonna we're gonna know. But Green Lanterns for what it was, it was pretty. It wasn't bad. It was, there were some good parts to it. it. I could see how it could be good down the road. We just have to see how all the pieces play out and come together. All right, go to promo break. Promo break. All right, guys. Uh, you're gonna hear one promo, and it's gonna be self-serving. <laughs> And it's a good one, so it's worth the self-serve. Um, I don't want to say I'll be playing this every episode from now until this podcast. Well, you know what? We'll talk but about he will. it. Later. But, but he <laughs> will. So, let's just... <laughs> so listen closely because you're about to hear a familiar voice, my own, on this next promo. And you're also going to hear Mark in there, too. I was going to say, <laughs> it's not the only familiar voice, Mr. Self-Serving. True. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right, Screw guys. This we're guy. Gonna... We're going to go to break real quick uh, and play a promo. It's uh, it's a, it's more of a sneak peek trailer slash promo because a promo is typically a little shorter. This is about a three and a half minute An hour, <laughs> <laughs> a three and a half minute promo. But 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 bear with me, guys. All right. So promo time. Uh, we'll come back. We'll do an email and then we'll close out. All right, guys. See you on, see you on the other side. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. You may know me from the Green Lantern podcast, The Lantern Cast. You also may know me from making promises across the comics podcasting community concerning a new project I've been working on. An Action Comics Weekly podcast, to be precise. Well, it's time to deliver on that promise. The Action Comics Weekly podcast is a bi-weekly podcast featuring myself and a rotating cast of semi-regular co-hosts discussing the characters appearing in the comic series of the same name from the late 1980s. So, starting this summer, join me and Mark Marble as we discuss Green Lantern. For all the people that want to give Hal when he was Parallax a lot of shit about the way he acted, <laughs> Star Sapphire has nothing on Hal for being like pushed over the borderline because she's just completely friggin' nuts. Jay Jones, as we discuss Wild Dog. He straight up, like you said, he, he murders these people. And that's that's not my DC Comics. That's not super heroic at all. Batman wouldn't have killed anybody. But the story, this story is, it's it's not bad. It's not great. It's it's like the character himself. It's like, he's just, it's just there. It just exists. Ben Avery, as we discuss The Secret Six. So when I read this alone, as I was reading through this this issue, I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> I, I told Chad I'd do this, but I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> I, I do end up liking Secret Six more. This is the introduction, and without this, you know, I probably wouldn't like you know the, the second chapter as much. Doug Zavisha, as we discuss Dead Man. <laughs> well, it's it's a kind of a waffly Dead Man story. It wants to be a dead man story. It starts to be a dead man story. It forgets it's a dead man story, and then it comes back to being one, um, all in the span of eight pages. Alan Middleton, as we discuss Blackhawk, that there's sort of this era of Blackhawk where he was sort of dissolute and sort of couldn't get civilian life together. Mm-hmm. And I think this story is either beginning that trend or at least tapping into that tapping into that fertile story. And Michael Bailey, as we discuss Superman. There is really no way to tie this 
two-page strip into that. So it really exists in its own world at a time where the Superman books were becoming more and more linked. So it's this oddity on a number of levels. And many other characters featuring many more guest hosts along the way. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Coming soon, summer 2016. Find us on Facebook for more details. All right, dude, what'd you think? Very impressive. You, you did a good job. That's right, guys. The Action Comics Weekly podcast is finally happening. No, that does not mean that I am going to refocus all of my efforts and extra time towards the Action Comics Weekly podcast and put Lantern Cast on the back burner. Uh, to be fair, the Action Comics Weekly podcast, the first three episodes worth of content uh, in terms of the segments uh, for the Action Comics Weekly podcast have actually already been recorded. I just need to put them together, edit them, and add bumpers on either side. I mean, so it, it's that gives me, uh, since the podcast will be releasing bi-weekly, you know, as soon as the first episode goes out, which I don't yet just know, um, you just know the exact date. Um, that gives me, you know, a month, a month and a half, two months to kind of figure out uh, a new schedule. So it's not going to affect the Lantern cast. I'm not going to prioritize one over the other. As a matter of fact, Lantern cast will be the priority a little bit more than Action Comics Weekly, just because I already have so much of the the first three episodes recorded already. Um, once of course I start running out of pre-recorded material, then it's going to be a half and half kind of a thing, but it's not going to affect us really much at all. Uh, <laughs> as far as, as far as I'm aware, um, plus Mark is going to be recording with me <laughs> on a lot of this stuff. So it's in, even, even if we just do one segment at a time, you know, Mark and I can do a segment of action comics, weekly green lantern stuff, and then do an episode of green lantern. So I can get two birds, one stone. You know what I mean? Um, I know that very well. <laughs> Jim, <laughs> Jim and I do that quite frequently with the, with the greatest toy podcast and pre-birth. We've been, we've been doing double headers at least once a month. <laughs> so there's that. Now, I am going to share a little bit of news with you guys first and foremost. Now, technically, if you check Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that, you're not you, – by the time you hear this, it will already be old news. But as we record this, you're the first to hear it, guys. <laughs> um so, I'm pulling up my email account right now and refreshing. Yes, awesome. Okay, so, the Action Comics Weekly Podcast has now been approved for both Stitcher Radio and iTunes. I got the approval emails just now. So, content at Stitcher.com. Welcome to Stitcher. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast is now available. And iTunes, um, dear podcast owner, your podcast has been approved. You should expect to see, to see it on the iTunes store within the next few hours. So, Action Comics Weekly Podcast, obviously only the promo is available right now. I just needed some actual content to post so I could submit something for approval for Stitcher and iTunes, but it is now officially approved. 
And that means I also now know how to post to a website to allow the episode to update to iTunes and Stitcher without doing it the insane bullshit way the Lantern Cast has been doing it for years. <laughs> did, did you use that? Are you using the plugin to do that? I'm using a plugin feed burner type thing on a WordPress page. Um, guys, the way the Lantern Cast does it, not only do we edit our episodes, export them as MP3 files, upload them to a file server, we also have to update three. Now, Keep in mind, we only have to update really one of them and just copy and paste it to the other two. But we have to update technically three XML notepad documents of code and upload those to our server to get iTunes and Stitcher to even update in the first place. Yeah, we can we we can definitely work stop doing that and work around it because even Jim, even even Jim and I because Jim I think he uses what simply podcasting or something like that. There's a plugin that he uses for the for our toy podcast and that that that's just a plugin you put into WordPress and again that does everything automatically so yours yours the one you're using probably is similar so we'll have to talk as we're talking live this is another inside moment for you people as we're talking live yeah we'll have to we'll have to t- take some time and to talk about this and figure out because we should do the conversion so then it's then it's a lot easier and it's one less step for us to worry about to upload stuff. True. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention, because Jim and I had a conversation on Facebook just kind of about the – we didn't really get into it because I really don't want to want to get into it right now. Um, but just the fact that I've been stressed lately, and he mentioned something to me about the way in which I'm editing the podcast after I told him how I do it. Uh, I don't know if you guys notice, and, and Mark – Please keep in mind, I am not like calling you out or anything, Uh-oh. but I get super, super uh, when I when I get to edit something uh, for our show, I try and like if if there's an opportunity for a sound effect or a media clip or whatever, I'd like to be a little more anal about it. Like you know, it's got to sound just right, or I'm not going to do it at all. Well, sometimes like when Mark pauses between saying things, it's you know he he's either on his tablet, you know skipping to the next page or if i'm doing the same type of thing and i'm like oh hang on one sec if it'll just get there i like to edit out those pauses regardless of whether they're like three to five seconds or if we're just sort of mumbling through things or if we stumble over words i try to sometimes i even try and edit out the um um stuff if it's not like attached too closely to a, a sentence of words like um, um blah 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 as opposed to just the um to save time like, I get that anal retentive about editing sometimes. Jim told me something that uh, might it kind of made sense, and I kind of want to hear from you guys. Now, I, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to necessarily affect my decision-making, but it, I, I, I kind of do want to know from you guys. He says, he basically told me, None of you guys care as much as I do <laughs> about that stuff. So long as a new episode with new content posts and there's not like a minute and a half of silence between words, you guys don't really care about those little nitty gritty type things. You just want new episodes, new content, you know, reviews and all the other stuff we do. And obviously we want to edit them in such a way that any sort of mistakes are left out, you know, if the audio cuts out and we need to start a new Skype record, you know, we need to put those two pieces of audio together, you know, those types of things, duh, you know, give it a consistency to it. But the editing out ums and three to five second pauses and all those other kinds of things, 
you guys supposedly may not really care as much as I do when I get anal about editing. So I wanted to know from you guys, does that kind of stuff really even bother you as much? Do I need to even worry about it? Because if not, maybe I, I, I just need to adjust my editing process because I spend way, probably more time editing these episodes than I should. <laughs> I don't know what you think about all that, Mark. <laughs> I think it de- I think it depends. Like I know, I know, like with the toy podcast that essentially, barring some technical difficulties, uh, we usually, and I think this is true for well, this is first and foremost is true for you and I because you and I rec- record more. Though if you go back over the years now, I have a lot of recording experience with Jim, whether guesting on the show or or everything else or him coming back on this i've done a lot of recording with jim too but you and i just like jim and i very rarely do we have major screw-ups where again not talking about technical stuff where we drop a call or or it gets gets mumbled when we're talking and we have no control we need to cut it out because no one can understand it but we very rarely screw up really enough where or where it really needs to come out. I mean, once in a while, yeah, if, if you have to look for stuff and you don't think you're going to find it, one, two, three, and it's not one of those moments where you look for something or I look for something while the other person's talking, while you literally both people go look for it and you have like 10 seconds or of not much of, like you said, mumbling and stuff. That stuff being put aside, I would tend to agree. I don't think, I don't think cutting out a second here or there, if there's a pause... As you singled me out, no, I'm kidding. But I know I I am guilty of that sometimes because my the way my mind works sometimes I switch gears or I'm trying to figure out which thought to 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 zero in on at one time and then I have a couple of seconds where I'm it's silent because I'm thinking. I don't think I I would tend to agree. I don't think that I don't think people that bothers people nearly 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 as much. So like so I think with Jim when our toy podcast I think all he does is. You know, if we have some or normal BS in the beginning when we're talking before we're ready to record, usually that's the only stuff that I think he has to edit out. You know. Yeah, and then he just adds intro outro music. But he doesn't. Have, right now, we don't even have intro outro music, outing music. So, but yes, if we did, that's all he would do. Basically, you would you would have you would clip out like the you know the six minutes or so that we're bullshitting in the beginning. You get that get out of there till we begin clean, and then you just yeah you would just attach the, the beginning and the ending in the beginning to it, and then. That. So it's something to think about, especially if it is stressing you out, because I don't, uh, especially. It's, it's 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 not stressing me out. It's more of perfectionist. Yeah, I can respect, mind you. I can which, respect which it. which I. It's part perfectionist. It's not the editing itself stressing me out. It's just the fact that I am a perfectionist, kind of. And when I think about oh, I have to edit an episode, I think about it in those terms. I need time to find the ums and the spaces and the blah, blah, blah. So I, when I look, you know, I need to set aside time to edit an episode. I'm thinking of it in those terms as opposed to I just need to add intro, outro music, kind of delete this here and there. I need to put in a promo somewhere over here in the middle, and then bada-bing, bada-boom, export, we're done. As opposed to, okay, I'm going to listen to it from stop to start. If I hear a pause or an um, I'm going to go back, pause it real quick, check it, edit that out. Start playing again. Find another one. Edit. You know what I mean. So yeah. it, if if I know for sure that I'm not going to have to worry about that, then I don't have to think ahead to the amount of time it's going to take me to edit an episode. As going, okay, 
it doesn't stress me out like, oh my god, I have to edit out the ums. It's just more like, oh, that's just how I do it. And I need to account for the time it's going to take me to edit that the way I my mind wants me to do it. Um, but it sounds like I'm making it, it's possible that I'm making it more work than it really needs to be. And that those things you guys may notice, you may even appreciate, but it's not like if it's in there you're going to be pissed or think that the quality of the show has gone downhill, you know? So, uh, just write in. Let us think. Uh, let us know about it. And speaking of writing in, uh, we do have one email to get to. Um, this is from Shane, uh, and um, he says, "Hi, Chad." He says uh, the, the title of it is uh, "Recent Episodes of Lantern Cast." He says, "Hi, Chad, Mark. Your podcast is probably my favorite out of all the comic book podcasts I listen to regularly. I had a few thoughts for you on your recent episodes. The final night." I never read the, this entire series. I was not happy with DC at the time it was published. After Emerald Twilight and Zero Hour ruined Hal Jordan and the JSA, I had mostly quit reading. But I saw the cover to Final Night number 4 and the Parallax one-shot on the shelf at the local bookstore and bought them. And if nothing else, I was glad they had given Hal a quote-unquote mercing killing and ended the Parallax nonsense. Though I wondered then and I wonder now, if Hal can remake the entire universe like he did in Zero Hour, how exactly is the Sun Eater nearly too difficult for him to handle? Um, I want to pause right there just because I had a thought when I, while I was reading it. I agree with you. Like, it, it, if he's going to remake the entire universe, and we're not talking just Earth's history in Zero Hour, like the entire universe... Um, and all the individual planets and sectors' histories and all that stuff. And possibly even the multiverse and all those added components. Why would the Sun Eater be a big problem for him? Well, I was also thinking, you got to think, it's not just killing the Sun Eater and restoring the Sun. It's also making sure that all the ice built up on Earth doesn't melt and destroy everything. And, you know, the sudden temperature change doesn't kill people. You know, those types of things. So... You have to take that into consideration, but also, but again, compared to remaking an entire universe, it's, it's, I, I don't know, I guess it's, it's really not much. What do you think? Now, I always thought at the time what he thought that the Sun Eater, Hal Jordan was, is, Parallax is more powerful than the Sun Eater. It should, he should not. That's why I never, like we've talked about in that episode, as far as I was concerned, that was one of your lamest comic book deaths because it happened off panel. There was really not much proof that he really died, and the concept of it didn't make a lot of sense. That being said, if you want to have a, if you want to have a, tech, a very easy technical es explanation for why that's possible, we have to remember that the parallax that died during Final Night was not as powerful as the parallax in Zero Hour. The parallax in Zero Hour was completely had the, had all the power of the central power battery. He had absorbed extra chronal energy from the uh, crisis. And he had used up all that energy by the end of Zero Hour. He pretty much he used whatever he had left to get him back to Oa when, with him and Kyle. And he was only able to recharge after he was completely dry because he, Kyle gave him his ring. And then and Hal continued to recharge using the power ring, and then Kyle like hit him from behind and took it off his hand. So Hal never, had, never recharged back to full Zero Hour, Emerald Twilight slash Zero Hour strength. So that is your partial explanation, or your easy out, if you will. That he was never, that parallax was not as powerful as the zero hour, going into zero hour parallax. That's right. your that's your easy technical way out. That being said, yes, I don't believe the sun. I don't believe 
especially when you think about it. Hal's ability, he could still, he basically still, I guess it wasn't proven at the time that the post-Zero Hour Hal could really time travel the way he did before. But we obviously knew that he could do the he could still top he still had enough power and knowledge to stop time because he did it on on the sun he stopped it time he stopped time from moving so you would think he could have also if he had any kind of abilities of time travel back you would think even even if he didn't he maybe he could have just stopped time enough to be able to draw literally use like green constructed energy to pull the sun eater out of the sun and then yeah. take him somewhere else so it it was it was a, a little too convenient end. But if you, but if you're looking for, on a pure power level, why he wouldn't be, why this would be a threat to him, you just have to remember he was technically not on the same power level in Final Night than he was going into Zero Hour. But that. Uh, Shane continues recent GL books. The main Green Lantern book is the only DC book I stuck with all the way through the New Fifty Two. I agree with you that Parallax was not written well at all, and his appearance was largely wasted. The whole Renegade Hal storyline has been pretty flat, honestly, though there have been decent issues here and there. I'm looking forward to getting back to more standard Green Lantern storylines with Rebirth. I wonder if they'll bother to explain what's happened to the Temper Guardians, what's happened to Relic and Krona, and who sent the Green Lanterns through the previous universe in the first place. I hate drop plot threads. Keep up. I hate drop plot threads. (laughs) Say that eight Uh, times quick. Keep up the good work. I look forward to every episode, Shane. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And thank you for saying you were one of your favorite podcasts out of all of them you listen to. Uh, I'd be curious what other ones you listen to. And hopefully it's not we're not the only one. <laughs> You're my favorite and my only. Um, I think we're going to find – going back to his question, I think we all – we've talked about this like almost ad nauseum. I think we, we are in, obviously we're in agreement or he's in agreement with us about parallax and the renegade storyline overall, uh, regarding the questions that he asked. I do think we'll find out what happened to the Templar guardians. Yep. I, I agree do think, there. I do think we'll find out eventually who sent the green lanterns to that universe. Yep. I agree with that. We might very well find out about relic and Krona, but we're not going to find out those answers. I think anytime soon. <laughs> I really doubt we will. <laughs> Ever. Uh, <laughs> The Krona, to be perfectly honest, the Krona thing is more important because his whole role purposely was so vague and so, you know, mysterious and cloudy. You just didn't know. And you don't, again, like we've talked about before, you don't know if they were setting it up where he did have an influence on Relic, which has carried over into the Relic. All the experiences and relationships Relic has had with lanterns in our universe comes from the, our, our lanterns, quote unquote, going into the, his past, which basically is like, your Terminator loop, something that oh had had happened before, will always happen, and so that's why he's so bitter towards. It's not even his own lightsmiths. He's he's specifically bitter towards towards those lanterns, even if he doesn't quite remember why. Once he passes from one universe to the other, but it's always there. He's always got this little you know hate on for lanterns, and that's why. It's not just oh he tried to save his own universe and they kind of flipped him the bird. So. So the so the relic stuff, so the Krona stuff is more important. I think there may be t- some touching upon that down the road, but I would say the Templar Guardians, we almost have to find out what's been going on with them and where they've been, and I think we absolutely have to find out about who the hell sent the Green Lantern Corps away. Yeah. It's just unfortunate, really. It's just unfortunate that they just didn't give Cullen six more issues so we would have had the answer to all those questions. 
<laughs> I'm yeah. sure we would have if Cullen had gotten to finish his story the way he wanted to, or at least they told him that in issue five or issue four, we're going to make this 12 issues, and that's it. So we're just telling you. I think he would have wrapped it up. We would have gotten the answers to these questions, and I think it would have, certainly would have been a lot better than kind of like the half-ass six issues of one and and the other and half a dozen of the other. <laughs> so, well, no, soon enough. Yeah. All right, uh, Shane. Thank you so much for that email. We really appreciate it. And Mark, if other people would like to reach out to us and contact us, how do they do so? Email lanterncast at gmail dot com. Lanterncast at gmail dot com. Website lanterncast.com. Our episodes are all posted up there. We have our Ring Cyclopedia episodes. We just posted a new Dark Star review tonight. Uh, lots of good stuff there. We also do blog posts when when, when the energy is right. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. Use GLCast to find us on any of those. We're on iTunes and Stitcher, so whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 708-Lantern. Call us at 708-Lantern and let us know what you think. Uh, I've said it before uh, in the past, and I'll say it one more time now, um, although it's been a little while since I said it. Specific focus, guys, if you don't mind, could you please head over to Stitcher? Find us on Stitcher and leave us a review over on Stitcher. Uh, we've got some some great reviews over on iTunes, and obviously we'd love to continue getting those. So if you're new to leaving a review to us, period, if you don't mind copying and pasting that review from Stitcher to iTunes, that'd be also really cool. But Stitcher currently only has one review as opposed to iTunes, what, 20-something maybe? Something like that. Yeah, so... If you could head over to Stitcher, find us on Stitcher, and leave us a positive review, I'd really, really appreciate it. And if you have the time, just copy and paste that same thing over into iTunes, too. That'd be awesome. And let us know uh, that you left those reviews, because we don't get a notification either way um, that we, we have a new review. Um, so email us after you're done, lanterncast.gmail.com, or just pop over to our Facebook page or let us know on Twitter. Somehow let us know that you posted a review and where, either iTunes or Stitcher, uh, or both. Uh, but Stitcher in particular is just my particular focus at this particular moment, just because I have already gone through the application process for the Action Comics Weekly show. And I, I, while I was over there, I double-checked our, our Lanterncast feed over there, and we only had just have one review. So if you don't mind... Head over to Stitcher or leave us a review. Let us know that you posted. All right, guys. Uh, we are out, and talk to you later. Sounds good. Good night, everybody. Good night.